catch you again. Chad Belding here, another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, and I hope you all have taken a couple words of advice from me and a few other folks around the country with going to that website, NAWTC.com, North American Whitetail Championships, brought to you all by Michael Waddell and the Bone Collector crew, as well as Steve Schmidt and Clint Walker out of Wicked Outfitters in Kansas. They're putting on a heck of a contest, guys. It's a no-brainer, $300 to join for your chance to qualify and win $50,000 cash. And like I said before, the best part about it is that $300 automatically gets you an entry prize that's well valued at well over four or $500 with broadheads and peeps and sights and a Tacticam and a Gator Coolers Tumbler. So you can't go wrong, guys. Get signed up. The North American Whitetail Championships 2019, 14 regions across America and Canada. Put your skills to, uh, you know, all of your archery skills, whether it's tree stands, box blinds, ground blinds, put your skills to the test and see if you can compete with some of the best deer hunters across the country. We know you're passionate about it. We know you love being in the woods. So uh, let's make this a safe and ethical way to promote the deer hunting across the country with the Whitetail Championships, the North American Whitetail Championships, brought to you by the Bone Collector Crew down in Georgia and Wicked Outfitters in Kansas. I'm proud to be a part of it. Tell them Chad and the Foul Life Crew and This Life Ain't For Everybody sent you, and uh, good luck to you guys. It's going to be a great contest. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends at Deemer Box. If you guys haven't investigated the Deemer Box yet, check them out online. They are they are so legit when it comes to enjoying music. If you have a love and passion for music and podcasting like I do like so many other people in our crew do, you're going to love Deemer Box. Not only do they sound great when you play your favorite style of music on them, they float, they're waterproof. You can keep your belongings in there. You can lock them. Um, you can pair them together. You can do so much with these. They have 50 hours of life on one battery charge. You can charge your phone through a USB port on the inside of the box. You name it, this thing can do it. And I'm telling you guys, the quality has made it now to where you don't need surround sound in your house. You don't need it around your swimming pool. You don't even need it in your fishing boat or your pontoon boat during the summer. A, a Deemer box or two covers you. And I'm telling you guys, you can't go wrong. They're very reasonably priced. And when it comes to having pride in your music and your Bluetooth sources, check out Deemer Box. And today's guest is actually very well tied into the Deemer Box brand. I'm talking to a man named James Deemer, D-E-M-E-R, the founder and originator of the Deemer Box. And we're going to get in today of his story, his lifestyle, his love of audio and music and TV and production, and where the brand is, where it came from and where it's going, and some of the, the things that the, the, the brand has experienced just here in the last six months. I'm excited to hear about it. I love the product. And when I met James, I was like, damn, man, this guy's on to something, and he's such a good dude. You guys are going to get into it. So here we go. This life ain't for everybody. James Deemer, welcome, my friend. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. So nice to be here. Yeah, buddy. You, uh, you flew out here from Atlanta, yeah? Yeah, I just got in last night, and uh, um, I've never been to Reno before. It's beautiful. Wow, I, I wasn't expecting the, the snow-covered mountains um, so close, you know, right around the city there. It's gorgeous. Yeah, if, I, if you've been to like Salt Lake City or Denver, it's those valleys are a lot bigger than ours are. So our mountains, you know, we're encompassed by them 360 degrees around with the Sierras and different mountain ranges. And you know where the Tahoe Basin is, where all the snow is. But when you when you're flying in, it was nighttime. But when you looked out of that hotel room today or you went on a jog and a run this morning, it's pretty cool to see that kind of landscape, the foothills and the mountains. Yeah. 
Yeah, super beautiful. Um, I'm sure you hear this all the time. You're probably tired of it, but really my only um, experience with Reno is Reno 911, and and that's not at all what I was getting (laughs) this morning on my beautiful run along the Truckee River. Wow, super gorgeous. Is that show still on TV? I, I don't think so. I don't think it is. But as far as TV goes, though, you have quite a bit of experience in TV, and I want to touch on that today. But I, I really wanted to, to really, when you when it comes to passion, I would say that from my short interim of knowing you is is a few months, and I, I know that we're going to develop a strong friendship and relationship. But you're passionate about a few things, and, and I'm sure you're passionate about more in life. But the first things that came to mind when I met you were your love of music and sound and your love of running and the running part really intrigues me as far as how far you've taken this running lifestyle. When you say an ultra marathon, is that the correct term is an ultra run an ultra contest? When you hear the word marathon, that means 26.2 miles. I believe what is ultra marathon in comparison to that? Um, I believe that typically what people say is, uh, you know, an ultra marathon is anything that's 50K and above. So a 50-kilometer run is about 32 miles. So really anything longer than a marathon is an ultra. And most ultras are done on trails as opposed to on the road. So that's something else that separates ultra running from, from trail, or excuse me, from, you know, marathoning or your 10Ks or 5Ks is that it's, you know, it's typically a trail run. And when you, when you, to be built for that kind of a lifestyle, is it something genetically you were always adapted well to? Is it something that you had to become good at? Could you run for miles like Forrest Gump out of the womb? When does a person know that they can run more than, I mean, 26 miles is a lot. You start talking about a hundred miles. You just got back from Hong Kong doing 56 one day and 50 56 miles one day and then 50 kilometers the next, which is 38 miles or whatever. Like, how do you know that you can, is there a huge threshold to even get to that point? Um, yes, it takes a lot of work to get to that point. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly gifted at running. I think really it's just tenacity. You know, I, um, I actually didn't run. My first running race was in 2002 and I was, well, I'm 50 now, so. Math isn't my strong suit, but you know, 17 was, years ago, yeah. you were 33, <laughs> 33 years old. That was my first running race. Wow. That's, um, that's pretty late yeah, in life to start. It was, you know, I think I always ran as a kid. I just like, you know, kind of running around and stuff, but I didn't play sports in high school or anything. I was, I was in the band. I did, you know, I built sets for the, for the, the drama club. Like that was my thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I used to like to ride my bicycle places. But I would say, you know, <clears throat> running is something that you, you, you like hunting and I've, I've never been a hunter, but I really like being outside in nature. It just feels right to me. So I would go out and I would take a walk on the power line or in the woods, um, you know, around my house in Maine where, um, there are thousands of miles of snowmobile trails and uh, you could be outside and just enjoy nature. And I think I probably just started running one day and said, Oh, this is kind of fun. And, uh, I remember going back to, um, getting back to my house after, you know, one day in the woods and thought I'd like to do a race. And so I found a 50 mile trail race, um, 
in Massachusetts a few months later than, than that day. And I signed up for it. And my wife said, you're crazy. Like, what are, what are you doing signing up for a 50-mile race for your very first running race ever? And I just trained a lot. You know, I ran a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. And I got through that race. But, um, you know, the hook was set. I had the bug. And two questions is, one, I heard you talking about you. one race you finished, I believe it was 100 miles, which is the, an ultra marathon. It was a 100-mile ultra marathon that you finished in 19 hours. And the first thought that comes to my mind, and I'm sure several people's mind is, okay, so you run for four or five hours and then you take a nap or you get to go sit down and get hydrated. No, you ran for 19 hours straight from start to finish, 100 miles. That's a long freaking way. So really your wife is right. You are crazy. I think that anybody in their mind that can conceive this of running what a car was built to do, like a marathon is, okay, that's been being done for years, 26 miles, people from Kenya, people from all over America. There's tons of huge marathons here, the New York, the Boston, the San Francisco, the Los Angeles. I'm sure you've competed in all those, but a hundred miles in 19 hours with no stopping that like I can't even conceive that. Like I can't imagine the threshold that it takes to get through. I ran, I told you I ran over two miles the other day and that when I got through that threshold, I felt good. I'm like, Oh, I'm making it. But there's a hunt. That's 98 more miles that you have to conceive in your mind. Like you can finish. Is, is it more mental than, is it, is it like you got to tell yourself like, Hey, I've, I can practice. I'm sure that you don't train at a hundred miles, right? You probably got to do it in increments building up to it. It's got to be mental. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very true. You know, there's a lot of training and it's not just, I think for me, you know, it's, it's less about the results, um, and more about the process, at least lately. That's the, you know, my, my thought process going into this whole thing is I'm, I'm trying to build a healthy lifestyle. Um, so I, I would say that, yes, it, it takes, um, it takes a lot of, dedication on a daily basis. Um, my longest training run going into a hundred might only be, you know, 25 miles, but you know, what I might do on a weekend is I might run 25 miles on a Saturday and then I might run another 20 on a Sunday and then I'll take Monday off. But then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'll do 10 miles a day, you know? So you're really, you're teaching your body to adapt. And I think it's probably like anything. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe, um, you know, being a good race car driver, right? Like you, you don't just get in the car and instantly you're good at it. You've got to just, you start in the go-karts and then you work up to the slower cars and, you know, you just do it over and over and over again and you get better at it. And I think, uh, mentally for sure, it's a, it's, it's a lot of work mentally after three hours of running, you know, you, you, you just go through these highs and lows and a lot of lows and you have to just convince yourself that you're not going to feel bad all the time, that you're going to get through that dark patch and that it's going to be over. Um, and that's not always an easy thing to do, but, um, but it's pretty true. You know, generally speaking, if you're not feeling well, it's because you, you're not high, you haven't had enough liquid, you know, whether it's water or, you know, electrolyte drink, or you haven't had enough to eat. Eating is very important when you're running, you're burning so many calories. So you got to stay hydrated. You got to keep your fluids up. Um, you have to start slow, you know, 
you don't start out running a hundred mile race like you're running a 5k. You, you go slow and you see a lot of newbies. They'll start out running real fast. And this was me when I started doing it too. I remember my first hundred mile race was the Vermont 100 in 2007. And, uh, I passed this older gentleman. He must've been in his mid sixties right at the beginning. And he said, you're going too fast. You're going too fast. And, um, I didn't think much of it until about mile 72 when I was limping along and he passed me like I was standing still. And he said, see, I told you so. You got to slow he down, knew. son. Yeah, he knew. So when you're training, a lot of times you hear the word rest day or cheat day or whatever in a training regimen. Is, do you have to run every day to become this, this strong suited for a 100-mile race? Can you take a day off or do you have to do 5, 10, 15 miles a day? You can definitely, I think you need to take a day off your body. You know, the thing about um, training for any physical activity is that, you, you know, the workout is half of it and then the recovery is the other half. So, you know, you're like, you did a workout this morning. I know you told me it was super hard and what's equally as important as those, those squats you did with the weights is the rest that you give your body. So your muscles can, you know, can adapt and grow. Um, so I think knowing how much work to put into something, but then knowing how much rest you need and when to eat and what to eat, all that stuff is, and how to stay healthy, how to keep yourself from getting injured. You know, that's, that's super important too. Um, a lot of ultra runners that are sort of pe people call, people call ultra races. They say it's like a mullet. It's, it's, it's all business in the front and all party in the back. So you're going to have people at the front of the race that are just, they're going for it. They're trying to win. And then there's a bunch of people, you know, mid packers, backpackers that are, they're just having a good time. They're out there getting through a 50 mile or a 50 K or a hundred mile race. They don't care if they win. They don't really care what place they get at all. They just want to finish. And I think, um, I think it's important to just sort of have your expectations known up front you know, know what you're trying to get out of it and, uh, maybe not take it too seriously. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think that, you know, I, I, I get your point, but there's still the ideology. Like, I want to make sure I have my numbers, right? If you look, let's take the Boston marathon. What is a good time? What does the winner run that in? Is it a three hour, three and a half hour race? Are they trying to get sub 300 right now? Or are they trying to get sub 400 or four mile? four hours right now, excuse me, but what is the timing of that 26 mile race? We're in a real cool place with marathons because it's like, do you remember, you know, we were, we weren't around, but when, uh, um, Bannister, Roger Bannister, I think it was broke the four minute mile. That was like a big thing, right? Cause yeah. no one thought it was possible. No one could break the four minute mile. And this guy comes along and breaks a four minute mile. And then suddenly everyone was breaking the four minute mile. Well, the, the magic number with the marathon is the two-hour marathon. And um, Yuliad Kipchoge, I think, has like a 202 or a 201 and change. So Kenyan? Um, he's East African, yes. I, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember where he's from. He might be Rwandan or Ethiopian, but he's, he's from somewhere in that, in that region. So they're doing 13 miles in an hour. Yeah, they're doing they're doing half marathons in an hour. So and so that's thirteen yep. into sixty is what that's sub four minute miles for the whole thing. 
Yeah, they're running. They're running. Yeah, exactly. They'll throw in. So they might be doing, you know, low fives and then they'll throw in a couple like sub four, sub, sub five minute miles. Just so to, to, to just run to 100 things. miles in 19 hours, you're averaging 5.26 miles per hour. That's what your average is. So if you're looking at it from the, you know, comparing the two, you're doing five, 5.2 miles. Let's just say five miles every hour for 19 hours. Those guys are doing 13 miles in an hour right. for two hours. Yep. Think about the math there. You're doing more than a quarter, more than... Um, what are you at? Thirty? What's what's five into what compared to thirteen? You're looking at a, maybe forty percent, thirty eight percent or something of what they're doing for nineteen hours. So like it doesn't work out to me. It seems like what you're doing is way more grueling and way more competitive to keep that pace for nineteen hours than it is to run twenty six miles with a thirteen mile an hour. Be, how, I wonder how long they could keep that pace for. I don't think very much longer. That's giving it all well, you got. So what's starting to happen now in the ultra marathon world because there's real sponsor money. You know, it's like a it's sort of a fringe sport that's starting to get popular. It's like skateboarding was before Tony Hawk. You know, like or or mountain biking. You know, where it was like you had a couple guys that were good at it or girls, and they would you know. They would have a sponsorship that gave him a bike or a skateboard and, you know, maybe a couple of bucks and they'd drive their, their, their mom's station wagon to events. But, you know, then as money came in, um, you know, the, the level just kept going up. So now what's happening is you're, you're starting to see real crossover. These, these elite collegiate runners are starting to get into ultra running and they're getting sponsored and they're actually making good money. Um, there's a woman, Camille Heron, who is one of the best ultra runners in the world. She just did a 24 hour track race in Arizona in December. I think it was, she ran 167 miles in 24 hours, which I think might be an overall record men and women. Like that's the thing about ultras too, is as, as distances get longer, there's less separation between men and women because that, that strength, that sort of power, that strength to weight ratio or that power ratio, that, that the power advantage that men have doesn't mean as much when you're going longer and Is longer she the same longer. woman that won the Moad last year? Um, I believe that was won by well, a woman. No, no that, no, that's, so that's, um, that's, uh, Courtney DeWalter who is, <laughs> So Camille Heron and Courtney DeWalter are, are two of the best ultra runners in the country, and they sort of battle it out. Camille is faster. Courtney is better at technical stuff. Um, but they're, they're two of the most exciting runners um, in the world today, as far as I'm concerned. They're just doing crazy stuff, and they're really pushing the boundaries. And you, I was doing a, a podcast with, with my trainer, Matt Pendola, the other day, who I told you was training for Spartan again, and he's won the Masters, and he's really strong runner and he hates people doesn't hate people he hates to hear people say running is bad for you for your joints for your knees it's a lot of impact and a lot of force and some people are built for running the ideology is that somebody could not be built for running i'm sure that you can get to a point to where you can run some but if running is bad for you to run you know five miles and not use it as an everyday exercise or form of cardio then running a hundred miles or 167 miles in 24 hours 
has got to be bad for your body. And I'm not saying it is, I'm asking you, is it bad for your body to, to put it through that much impact for that long running like that? What does it do to your feet? Is it just pure blisters or can you train your feet or use something? Not I've seen like Cameron Haynes, who we discussed, take his shoes off after an ultra marathon and you're just like, oh God, oh gosh. And is, is it bad for your body, James? And does it tear your feet up to the point to where you can't walk for a week after? Tell me about that a little bit. I'd say the short answer is yes, it is bad for your body. Um, I don't know about long-term bad, but short-term for sure. Um, you know, one thing about ultra racing, and I'd say, you know, as I said, I'm 50, so I'm getting older and, and recovery takes a lot longer for me than it did when I was 40, um, or 35. Um, but, uh, you know, I did that Hong Kong. I did the nine dragons 50, 50 in Hong Kong in at the beginning of February. What is it now? It's like about a month ago. Yeah. A month and a half ago. And, um, my feet, yeah, they're a mess. I mean, my, my toes are black and blue and, um, I have blisters that, you know, turn into calluses that get worn out. And I was just tired um, for a month. Then I did a, I did a, um, a local 11 mile trail race last weekend and had a, had a really good day. It was a good day for me. Um, I won the race, which wasn't, you know, it wasn't a super competitive. It was a local trail race, but I was surprised that I had that kind of spring in my step when I ran the race, but then the week after I just felt destroyed, you know, and that was only an 11 mile race. And I think it's just because I still hadn't recovered from that, from that Hong Kong. So racers, you know, it's tricky because if you're a, if you're a pro, like we were talking about Camille Heron and Courtney DeWalter, and there's a handful of guys that are Jim Walmsley, there's some really good men runner, runners too that are doing these big races they have to be very very choosy about you know which high profile races they want to race in because the recovery does take such a long time and it puts a lot of high stakes on that race because you know you just don't know like if it's a really hot day and you don't get your hydration right and you you know you overheat um, that happened to a guy named Hayden Hawks he was just racing in um on a, it's called uh trans Volcania, Transcanaria, I can't remember, but it's a, it's a Spanish island off the coast of Africa. It's a, it's a big 70-mile race, and he didn't finish, this guy Hayden Hawks, um, who's really one of the best runners in the United States because he, he got hyponatremia. He had too much electrolytes in his system, and that should never happen to a guy like that. But, you know, that was like his A race for the spring, and he may have three races a year that he can call his A race. And, and, you know, he DNF'd, he did not finish, which is, which is sad. So it's not like he can just pick another race next week. Like it's going to take him a long time to, you know, get back to his optimal racing. Right. So as far as the body goes on the other, uh, on the other part of it is when you're running an ultra and you're built, you're little, you're 165 pounds. 165 is, is generous. You know, I'm probably fluctuate between 165 and 172. And is this the weight that you run at when you run an ultra or do you have to get down? That's the race. That's the weight I run at. You know, I used to, I actually used to have a scale 
And uh, I got obsessed with weighing myself. And I have a coach now, um, David Roach is his name. He's fantastic and he told me to throw the scale away and I listened to him and I threw the scale away and so I actually don't know what I weigh anymore. Um, but I mean, you're somewhere in that range. In that range. Are you, are you, are most, either, whether they're a backpacker or a midpacker or out in front with the mullet um, analogy you made, are most ultra runners or long distance runners built like you? Maybe not, there might be some that are taller that have a longer stride, but are they, most of them are very, very lean, obviously, very low body fat, very small waistlines, maybe a little bit bigger quadriceps, but very, they're very small in stature um, average wise. Would that be safe to say or fair to say? I would say at the, you know, at the front of the pack, yeah, the the real fast runners are typically yeah, low, low body fat, um, and I think a lot of that is just because they're training so much and maybe, you know, it's a chicken and an egg thing. Are they that way because they're training or are they that way genetically and therefore they're able to train more? Like, I don't know, right. but honestly you can go to a, you can go to any ultra race and see all different body types. You can see people who are, you know, Clydesdale class that are, you know, 200 plus really? easily. Oh, are they finishing? Sure. Yes. No way. And you know what? It's like, it's one of the most, it's like, I'm, I'm getting a little, like, I'm getting a little emotional just thinking about, like, I remember, I remember watching, I, <clears throat> I finished the Vermont 100 in 2007. That was my first ultra in Vermont. And I got in my sleeping bag and I was, I don't know, I was towards the top, but I was by no means, you know, in the money and wasn't on the podium. Um, it was a good race for a first time ultra runner. Um, but there were another 12 hours of running left for people. So I watched many, many other runners come in and it must've been, I don't know, hour 28 or 29, this woman came in and she just didn't, she did not look like an ultra runner at all. Right. She, she wasn't built like, a runner, but she crossed that line and she started crying and she just said, I finished. I just ran a hundred wow. miles. And like everyone was so emotional and hugging her. And, you know, it's cool because people do this for, for, for very personal reasons. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's oftentimes trying to overcome something, you know, inside you or to prove that you're, you're capable of doing so much more than you think you're capable of doing. And it's oh, really, yeah. it's so empowering. And, and, and sometimes those stories from the, you know, the mid packers or the back of the packers where they're, you know, they're getting chased by the cutoff time. So it's like, if you don't make it to an aid station by a certain time, they're going to pull you. So, you know, you'll see, you'll have these aid station volunteers who are saying, come on, we're going to get you fed. You know, like you're going to, we're going to make you a sandwich and fill up your pack. You're going to cross over the line and then, you know, you, you can walk and eat and you're going to make it. And everyone is rooting for that person. It, it's funny at, at, there's a raid that one of the most famous hundred mile races is called the Western States 100. Um, in fact, the guy that you were telling me about today, Cameron Haynes, Cameron Haynes has run it. I saw it in his ultra sign up and he's, you know, legit runner. And people always talk about who wins it, but oftentimes the video on YouTube that has by far the more plays is the person who finishes last right before it's a 30 hour cutoff and it there's always finishes. someone that's like they're finishing in 29 hours and 52 seconds and you just see them running in and like 
you know, you just cheer and you're screaming at your computer screen saying, go, go, you got to make it. And they cross the line and it's like such a joyous occasion. Has anybody ever compared the actual um, difficulty level of difficulty with like an ultra to let's say an Ironman where there's biking, swimming and running is, is it comparable or is an ultra hundred mile, like way off the charts, more difficult or, or, or um, deemed more difficult considered more difficult because an ultraman swimming swimming's tough but it's a short distance it's not as long a distance the bike ride if you train enough you can cover a lot of ground on a bike i'm not saying it's not hard but to mentally get yourself ready to run for 29 freaking hours with a 30 hour cutoff and in your case finish them at 17 hours and less or right around 17 hours i don't know if it could get more taxing on the body as far as a level of difficulty goes, has anybody ever done a study or are there ultra runners that do, do triathlon? I mean, Ironmans or triathlons too. There's not, you know, it's funny. There's not a lot of crossover and I haven't heard any comparisons. I'm, I'm always in awe of, of triathletes that are able to, to, to be able to focus on three different disciplines. That to me just sounds, it sounds miserable. Like, I'm kind of an all in sort of guy. It's like with Deemer box, you know, I, I, I have an idea and I just, I kind of go crazy with it until there's nothing left. And then I'll jump onto something else. Um, and maybe that's the way it is with running and hopefully I never find anything else, but I'm not sure how people are able to split their time between going to the pool and getting their runs in and getting a their good point. rides in. Like it just, that sounds hard to me. Um, it's like MMA training in a way that where it used to just be the sweet science of boxing and you had to concentrate on your cardio and your hooks and your jabs and your, and your uppercuts and stuff. And now you get into these MMA fights and there's all these different disciplines. And if you want to be one of the best, you have to do what you're saying. You got to figure out a time with your coaching and your training process and your training regimen to be like, all right, how much time do I spend in wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, the clinch game? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got to be well-rounded in all of that to be taken seriously in that game because the days of going in the octagon and just just knocking somebody out in 30 seconds you you get in there with somebody well-rounded like a john jones or somebody and you're like oh shit <laughs> i should have done more jujitsu or i should have done more kicks or kickboxing or something right so like in running i guess you really are you're like that threshold is if i make it past this point i can keep going but i know that i don't have to change clothes and get in a wetsuit and get in the ocean and swim and then i don't have to get out of the water and get on a 10 speed and, and show my bike skills so i guess it would be like you know the three different disciplines could be difficult to conquer Either way, both of them are an insane mindset. Like I look at it and I'm envious of it because I, I, one, I don't know if I could get started. Two, I think I'm mentally tough to do it, not finish, but I think that I could get in the position where I could train my body. But it's that getting started part that there's like such a fright in me. And where I'm going with that question is, do when you start out, do you wear a heart rate monitor? Do, do you compete with the heart rate monitor? Three, where is your heart rate at when you're in a 100-mile race? And is it taxing on the heart and your cardiovascular system? Is it dangerous to be an ultra-marathoner heart-wise? Or is it good for your heart to be under? Is it strainful on your heart to be going 19 hours without stopping? Because it seems to me like that's the most taxing part of the body. I got to back up just a little bit because when you were talking about your fear um, around it, 
I would say that I have the same, excuse me, I have the same fear when I think about what you do. I look at how diversified you are and how you, um, you know, you had an idea to, to create a TV show and you just went for it. And, and I look at everything you've built here and I'm just like, my God, like, I don't like, I don't understand how to even start doing something like this. With, with my company, I kind of got lucky. You know, I was a guy doing it as a hobby in a garage and um, Zach Brown found one on Amazon and, you know, bought in and that made things a lot easier. But, you know, y- you've bootstrapped and and scrapped your way and maybe it's a fake it till you make it. So, you know, I might flip it on you. Like, how did you, how did you you know, get from a guy with a dream to like us sitting in this amazing room with this, like, I mean, it's like, this is the real deal here. How, how I, I, th- I think it is more, uh, you quoted it a little bit ago about how your mindset was with Deemer box is that an idea is just an idea until you like say, Hey, you know, I'm rolling. And I've always had that mindset to where my mom would be like, you have too many baseball cards. And now I'm like 44 and I look at my baseball card collection. I'm like, yeah, I told you so. I got Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards and I got this and I got Bo Jackson. And I think I've always had that type A mentality to where if I liked something, I was going to be the best at it. Not to say that I am the best, but mentally I always told myself, I'm going to have the best baseball card collection. When I got into music, I fell in love with Guns N' Roses. So what do I do? I got to go see them in as many cities as I can. I got to start collecting their stuff. And it was just like that weird mindset. So when I, when I was in college, I knew right away coming out of college that I was going to be, or at least have the entrepreneur spirit to like come up with an idea and be able to talk to people, be able to network. And I think that that's really what I saw is like, I wanted to, I want to come up with a brand and be all in on it to where I want to make that idea a brand. And I want to take that brand from the infancy stage to the next level of nurturing it and getting it out there because to have a national brand is probably the hardest thing to do in business. I, I understand that there's un, there's unbelievably qualified people in all senses of business, CEOs, the Phil Knights, the guy that we were talking about that runs Polaris, the, the individuals that I'll be with this week at Traeger, what they've done with the Traeger brand Um, but to take a brand from infancy, from an idea. And the next thing, you know, here we are in 2019 and and banded was just an idea 10 years ago. Exactly. And now to see that banded is where it's at and the foul life is going into season 11 and it's become a brand. That's what Deemer box is. It's like, it's in that stage to where it's going national. It's going to be a national freaking brand. If you think about it, like the, the musician you named Zach at one time, he was playing for 14 people in Georgia. And now he's selling out Fenway Park. He's he's playing for millions of people all over the world. He's a brand. The ZBB is a brand. It's not just some guy up there singing chicken fried. It's a freaking phenomenal brand. And I think that that's when you're looking around going, how, how does he do what he does? That's how I'm looking at like... I think that that's what's cool about life is that you are qualified and, and, and achieved all this stuff and running a badass brand. And you're looking at me like, man, how's he doing this? And I'm looking across the table going, oh, damn, that guy just ran a hundred miles in Hong Kong and then got on a jet and flew back. And he's now he just flew across the country to Reno and we were in a business meeting this morning. I just love all that. I think that that is so intriguing and my passion for networking and introducing people and having touch points and being able to develop a brand and take it to the next level. A lot of people look at it and are like, 
yeah, he's doing it. But they don't really break down like what it takes and how many hours go in to qualifying yourself as a brand. Because I think the numbers are like two or 3% of brands survive the infancy stage on a national level. There's a lot of people that have ideas, but getting them to where Banded has gotten or where the foul life is or where Deemer Box is and where it's going, I think it's it's very difficult. And I think that it's like people that you you know, like you have to have that mindset like it is. It's like going in mentally on an ultra marathon because it's not a race, man. It's a marathon to develop a brand. It doesn't happen overnight. And people that think that it does, you know, like the American idol ideology is like Kelly Clarkson wins American idol. And now all of a sudden she's a superstar. That's not the case. Kelly Clarkson's got mad talent, right? She took years to hone her talents. Now, did she have a different platform that elevated and catapulted her into the national spotlight? Yes. That's just evolution of TV and marketing in America, right? People are getting known today and making money off of social media where five years ago, you wouldn't have seen the dollar signs that are being paid for just a social media ambassador or form of marketing. So I look at it like, there's a story behind everything. And that's why I do this is like, I think your story is awesome. But what is intriguing to me about you before I knew about the running and before I knew about the education and before I knew about the life, it was the product and how, like I, I would never, ever, ever get in, involved in a product like this. If I didn't feel cool, having it in my hands or knowing that it makes me a better person, that it makes me happier. And that's where I see what we do is like, I drive my brands every day because it makes me happy to do the little things like James, this is Anthony, Anthony, this is James. And the next thing you know, he already sent me a text saying, dude, I love it. We're going to do business with them. To me, that's the best. I don't think there's any more of a climax that I can get in life that besides kids and all of the stuff, you know, my daughter and the way she makes me feel, I just don't, I just get off on it. I really get off on that association of success and not the dollar sign. Cause I know that'll come if you do things right. And that might be a long winded answer, but the way that you approach a hundred mile race and the thresholds that you have to get through to consistently do that, you got to look at life and business and the entrepreneurial spirit the same way, because you can't just go, Hey, I'm a good duck hunter. I'm going to go start a, a, a duck call company and be the best. It doesn't happen that way. And I get so many people and I'm sure you do too. How'd you get into this? How do you do what you do? Where do you, how, how do I become a professional hunter? Well, I don't, I mean, there's tons of people that can play the guitar, but there's really only one slash. There's really only one Zach Brown. You can't, I'm not saying you can't have a dream and make it, but the story behind it and how Zach got so proficient on the guitar and songwriting and production. And what else does Zach have? Entrepreneurial spirit and vision. His stage show is a freaking fiasco of, of energy and, and, and theatrical stunts and just, it's badass, right? But I think his overall vision is the entrepreneurial spirit that has driven his music business, his Southern ground, his charities, his, entre- his philanthropy, everything. So I, I think that it's passion. I think that it's, that it's being able to approach things for the right reason. And that's why I'm so, when I think of like Cameron Haynes or like what Joe Rogan does at 51 years old with his jujitsu and his training regimen, I look at it the same way that I approach business. I train, I'm into fitness. I love working out And my discipline as an athlete and a, and, and a person that does that part of life. It really drives me to be better at the business part. And not to be selfish and greedy and, 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 and have an ego about, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this all on my own. You can't do it all on your own. That's why I think the networking is what 
the short answer would be to your question is how did you do this? It was surrounding myself with good people and just seeing the good in people and being able to be like, Hey, let's do this together. Let's do this. Let's drive this. Does that make sense at all? It does make sense. And, and, you know, I think, I think what people don't see is the, you know, that day to day hard work, getting out of bed every day and just, 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 just doing, doing the work, doing that hard work, whether it's going out and running 12 miles or whether it's networking when you, you know, when you don't feel like it, um, that's what, that's what makes someone successful. I believe that. I think there's a certain amount of luck involved, but I think a lot of it is really just, you know, it's perseverance. It's, it's having a vision that's achievable and then putting your head down and getting the work done to get there. And you've done it, um, in an amazing way. And I think, you know, one of your, your skills is finding other people who are also doing that and being around them and then connecting them. Yeah. Um, I, I have that skill to a certain extent, you know, I've, I think I've always been able to, you know, when I was a location sound mixer for 17 years and I worked on a bunch of different TV shows, you know, I would, I would always look for those opportunities and look for people who are doing things, you know, it's like, training with people who are a little bit faster than me. Like if I'm always working with people who are a little bit better than I am, it's a scary place to be, but it makes you better at what you do. I agree with that hundred percent. And it's funny you said that. Cause I was thinking like when I'm around somebody like a Zach or some of the other people that I've been fortunate enough to meet that are considered celebrities. And you look at that word celebrity and I'm like, well, it's, it's way deeper than Zach being a celebrity, you know, Zach is successful on a lot of different fronts and he's just a regular guy. Let's not, let's not overthink it here. I mean, Zach has struggles in life just like me or you would like, he's not invincible. He's not a robot, but when it comes to creativity and being clever and thinking outside of the box, there's a reason why he saw what you saw in this brand. There's a reason. So when somebody like that says something, they're a faster runner than you. There's a reason why there is. Maybe it was genetics, but maybe it was because they did something a little different to get them over that threshold and get a little faster. And that's what I catch on when I'm around Zach is like, that dude could sit idle for a little bit and still be fine. You didn't have to get up and run 12 miles the day when you flew in at midnight or got to your hotel room past midnight last night with the time change, with the jet lag, whatever it is, just got back from Hong Kong. You could have made every excuse in the book not to wake up and get a coffee and go out there and run 12 miles along the Truckee River and, and then come back and have a quick snack. I, I, I told my trainer when I got to the gym today, I said, Matt, I'm intermittently fasting. I have not had a calorie in my body since 655 last night. I feel worse than I, I, I got a good night's sleep, but I literally do not feel like being here right now. And I'm going to talk a lot today because I'm really going to try to keep myself upbeat. And he goes, he goes, dude, if you know, you're going to come into this gym and lift, you have to train yourself to take in some, I go, that's not what fasting is. He's like, trust me, you, you can burn it, whatever. But I, I did not want to take that drive. And I got to go a long ways to get to the gym. You know, it's 15 mile drive. It's not that long, but I could have very easily talked myself out of it. But when I got done and I was driving to you, I was like, dude, I'm kicking this day's ass again. And then when I got you, I was like, I can't wait because I knew going into that meeting, it's, it's, it's almost weird. Like going into a meeting with somebody that that was really my first sit down with you. And I've known Anthony for years. I don't know how big of a deal is a big deal to you. I don't know if you're taking what I'm doing serious. I know we have a, a mutual respect, but how, how big of a deal does it have to be to where Zach and James go, man, that's legit. You know, I don't think of it like that. I think of it like if I can get this touch point done, 
This one meeting right here can turn into at least 60 months of complete badassness across the board for the brands to be integrated and cross-pollinating together. That's what my mind's telling me. We might not get a PO today for 15,000 boxes, but we're going to plant this seed that's going to grow into this tree that's not ever going to be able to be cut down. And if it does, it's going to be worth millions, right? That's the way that I think of it. If that tree comes down, it's because somebody saw it and they're like, I could build some badass guitars for Zach out of that and sell them for $2 million a piece. That's the way I think is there's nothing that's going to that's more important than that seed being planted. And when we left there, there's no reason why AC had to text me except his passion for what you're doing. He's like, I love it. I'm in. I'm in. Because I knew that his personality was going to fall in love with this project in a heartbeat. That's the way I was looking at it. And we, we could have made every excuse in the book to not do that meeting, to not go on that run this morning, to not get my ass kicked in the gym to where I thought I was going to throw up four times, but we didn't. And it's been a good day. Man, it's been a really good day. And, and I love that. I love that, you know, that thought of um, the struggle in your mind to do something, you know, and all the excuses that, that go through your head of why you shouldn't do it. But, you know, I don't think I've ever, well, I know I've never finished a run and said, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, and, and I'd imagine you're probably the same way with your workouts. Like you finish the workout and it doesn't matter how hard it was. You're like, Oh, that was good. I want to do it again. Yeah. You're ready. I'm ready for the yep, next one. Yeah. Yep. Um, as far as, um, how I view my relationship with you, um, I have a nickname for you. I don't know if you know that, um, at, at work back in, I call you my guardian angel. Guardian angel. Yeah. Because you've done so much for, for me, you know, and, and, um, frankly, you know, I, we, we don't know each other all that well. And, you know, at first I'm like, I'm not really sure why he's, you know, why, why Chad is, is helping me as much as he is. And, and I'm actually learning a lot about that right now, you know, with us talking to each other, um, you, you know, you always think, well, is it because you're friends with Zach and you're doing a favor for Zach? Or, you know, is it because, um, you know, you're hoping that, you know, the favor is going to get returned? And, and and I think it's probably a little bit of those things. But I also think it's, you know, because you're just a good guy and you, you, you know, it makes you feel good to help someone else. And, I'm guessing that you probably believe in karma and that it's going to come around and it's going to come back in a good way for you. And, and I, I think that, I think that if, I think everything in life happens for a reason and I've, I've owned and been around at least 40 different models and styles of Bluetooth speakers. I've been around several different products, product design meetings, innovation, um, disrupting the market. That's what that product does. And that's, I, I, I know that my relationship with Zach is, it matures and blossoms every day. I have a great friendship with his head of security, Chad Payne. Um, I don't know if there's really anything that I need from Zach Brown or want from Zach Brown. I don't need anything. If I want to go watch a Zach Brown concert, I can go buy a ticket and watch this concert. What I love about Zach is that he is he's driven and he sees the good in people. And our friendship is more based on, I think just a mutual respect to where he kind of saw what I did when he came into my world at duck camp. And when I get to go live in a day in his shoes and experience his world, I don't take it for granted. I'm very, I'm very humbled to be in that circle. And I, I just, I don't look at it. Like, I don't know if I've ever asked Zach for anything. I have asked him for one thing and you got to plant this seed in his head. Um, 
I really want him to write the foreword to my new cookbook. And that's what I've, I've asked him already. And he didn't go like shut the door and get the hell out of here. But I'm like, I've got my hands like in the praying mode right now of like in the praying position of like, man, I just see this cookbook with the foreword by Zach Brown. Cause he's so passionate about food and cooking and nutrition and good recipes and, and, and traditional, you know, tradition and stuff. So, but yeah, I don't, I, I think that that's I guess that's where I was going when I didn't know like what you expected. Like, well, if this isn't a 10,000 box deal, I don't need it. That's not, that's not what business is about. That might be what our other deal that we've been working on over the last three weeks could turn into, right? That could turn into something huge, which I'm keeping my hands in that position too on that. Yeah, fingers crossed. But I, I think that if you do things with the right intention, and I've heard that about me, like, man, you're you're so critical and you're probably expecting something in return. And I hate the way, I hate the fact that I might come off of that way. I just heard it the other day um, that, you know, people think that you want something in return. I'm like, why would you think that? I don't, I've never asked you for anything. And they're like, it's just the way people take you. And I'm like, dude, I'm just doing this because I believe in it. I believe in it and I want touch points. I don't need to kiss your ass. I don't need to do this for you to like me. Hopefully I'm doing it because I want to put people together because the big picture is doors opening. I like to bust down a door and be like, hey, man, we created this opportunity. We didn't win the lottery. We saw opportunity here. We didn't take advantage of each other. We didn't have a hidden agenda. We just put the right people together with the right touch points for them to go, man, this is working. Like working. Like when I, when, when I t- introduced you to JP at Benelli, I didn't go like, oh, that's going to get me more Benelli's. No, I don't need Benelli takes care of me. I'm good. That, I've introduced different hunting entities to Benelli to, for Benelli to spend money with them, chancing them taking money out of my pocket because their budgets are only so big, right? When I saw that opportunity with your brand, I was like, dude, that's perfect for Benelli to have that in their repertoire. And JP's like, yeah, you're right. It's perfect. Might grow into something big. Who knows? But it's another touch point and you don't even hunt. And now Deemerbox and Benelli and have a relationship and they're going to grow it. So I, I, I don't need anything. JP knows damn well I've never asked him for anything personally. He has nothing that I need and I have nothing that he needs. We just love each other. And when you meet him, when you're with him at Fenway this year, I hope you come to that concert because he went to it with me last year. Pretty short drive from where he's at. It's just like we're brothers. We just love the same thing. We get along and we have that mutual respect. And I think that he knows that I always have his best intentions at the front of my head. I'm never looking to hurt him or get anything out of him. I don't need it. You've asked me a hundred, not a hundred times. That's an exaggeration, but you've asked me, well, what can we do for you? Well, let's start talking about this. And I've always put on the back burner. Let's figure that out later. I don't have any, I don't have any need right now. I want to see the success roll. And then at the end, you're like, man, that vision was cool. Because if I had $10 million in the bank right now, I'd be sitting here doing the same shit. And people are like, you're so full of it. You'd be out. I'm like, no, I wouldn't. It wouldn't change me one bit. And I know a lot of people like that, that money doesn't change them. I don't think that it, money has the ability to change me and I'm never going to chase it. So hopefully that, that answers your question. But I do, before you, if you have another thought on that, please say so. But if not, I really want to know if it's dangerous for your heart to be under that kind of, uh, under that kind of pressure for 19 hours of running. And I don't even know what your heart rate gets to because my workout heart rate in a fat burning mode is about 139 to 143 beats. It's like 180 minus your age where they want you for fat burning mode for high intensity workout. It's 220 minus your age. So that's 180. That's high. If I'm running over a mile, my heart rate is like at 170 at least. 
I'm not in running shape. Is your, is your heart stressed? Do you, do you have any other thoughts on our entrepreneurial talk? Cause we can talk more about that. Nope. I mean, I do, but we can go back to heart we'll go, rate. Yeah, no, yeah. but we'll go back, right okay. back to it after this. Yeah, I just yeah. want to know, I just want to know if your heart's in danger for being under that kind of pressure. I don't know if pressure is the right word, but that kind of working out mode for 19 hours of okay. straight running. Um, I guess just to maybe close the door on the entrepreneurial thing. I, I just want you to know, like, I love you like a, like a brother, like it's amazing what you've done for us. And I believe that everything is coming from a place of love. I feel it. Um, and, uh, I, I would say that I'm more of a giver than a taker. I like making things for people. I like the feeling I get when I give someone a really nice, thoughtful gift and you know, they're appreciative of that or make them a nice dinner. And I know that you're, I know that you're the same way. Exactly. I know, you know, you, you, you're an entertainer and, and you've planned a really nice dinner tonight and that's something that you didn't have to do. And, um, I think that's probably why we're, we're friends and, you know, we've gravitated toward each other. And I think generally speaking, like if you surround yourself with good people, um, your life is just going to be better. And, yeah. And I, I think that, that. And I, and I'm, and I hope that it never comes across and I, and I, and I'm trying to be transparent when I say like, I, I'm not going to hide anything. I heard that about me just the other day <clears throat> and I don't want to be that guy that gives off that assumption that I need something back for what I do because I mean, I don't need anything back. I don't want anything back. I want to be involved. Yeah. I guess is the word I want. And that's what I hope not always to put, I'm not putting Zach on a pedestal because whether or not me and Zach ever, I don't even, we've already done things, you know, we fish together, we hunt together, we do things. Um, I, I don't know you, if you ask Zach, what do you think of Chad Belding? Like maybe he would go, I love him. I think he's a great dude. Like what you just said, he's always looking at the da da da. da and I hope that that's what he gets out of me because I I don't just see Zach when I show up at a concert. How many Zach Brown concerts do you need to go to in a year to get the gist of a Zach Brown concert? Well, I probably went to seventeen or eighteen last year, and I do it because Zach has welcomed me into the circle, and so has Chad. And I and I bring like Benelli there. I bring a friend there, and they get to experience something that Zach allows me to bring him into that world. And for that, I'm humbled and thankful for. But I I hope that Zach wouldn't sit down and go, Yeah, you know, I know he shows up at these concerts and it gets it's it's tiresome having because I, I wouldn't do that. I would never put that pressure on him. I try to just do things behind the scenes. I don't blow him up and be like, hey man, me and James had an unreal meeting today. This is gonna I don't care. I have not told him one thing about any of our dealings on Deemer Box. Not one. I haven't said, hey man, this this deal with you know who down there with, with what's her name, you know who I'm talking about. I haven't said, man, this has got unreal legs under it and I don't care. I don't want to be the rah-rah guy behind it. I want it to get done. And then you and him to strategize and be like, all right, what's next? Yeah. What's next? You, t- you named a brand today that did about 400 million in 2018, which is amazing. How cool would it be if Deemer Box got to that, where it was that, this kind of brand, you know, like that's the vision. Yeah. You were talking about, you, you were talking about the sort of two or 3% of, you know, businesses that, that fail before they make it. Or I guess, what'd you say? 3% of businesses somewhere. I, I think it's somewhere between two and 3% yeah. survive the infancy stage, survive infancy. Um, I know that, um, it's really hard for 
you know, a brand to get to the $10 million a year mark. That's a really like, that's a benchmark. It's sort of like a restaurant getting to two years. If a restaurant gets to two years, chances are it's going to survive. Yeah. Most restaurants don't make it. No. So, you know, we, we are, we, we did $3.9 million in 2018. It was a 1600% increase over 2017. 1600%. Yeah. You know, and basically it's because we went from a couple guys building them, you know, as a hobby to like a real business, but it was, you know, an explosive growth and, and we're, we're hoping to get even bigger in 2019 and 2020. And we want to hit that 10, you know, that mystical $10 million mark. And that's, you know, that's sort of our, that's the, that's the, the goal that's a lofty, but we feel realistic goal that we can hit. So why do you say lofty? Is the market not there for this type of product? Um, uh, you know, so have you heard of Greg? Do you know? Hold you on know? a second. Yeah. What is your heart rate when you run a hundred miles? <laughs> and then I'm done with low. it. It's low. You can it's, keep your heart rate at like 120 beats a minute. You have to. You have, well, maybe 130. You know, as you, as your body warms up and as your nutrition, as you, it, it your heart rate increases as you're, as you, as you're getting warmer, right. And you're getting warmer when you're running more, um, cause your body's creating heat and you have to dissipate it. So it's hard to keep your heart rate down and it's hard to digest food. I would say, you know, heart rate is one thing, not getting, not getting sick, like sick to your stomach. I throw up a lot of races, big, long sure, races. Sure. Um, um, just being able to keep food down is, is probably the hardest thing for me. Um, I do wear a heart rate monitor sometimes. My coach doesn't really use heart rate, um, you know, metrics in training, but I tend to use heart rate mostly to keep myself from going too hard. So if I start out a race and I look at my watch, I'm like, you know, oh, like I'm at, you know, 80% of max, like I need to dial back. Like I'm going way, way, way too hard off the gun here. Um, because halfway into a 50 miles into a hundred mile race, like you don't have that gear to go harder that you had for the first 50 miles or for the first 20 miles. Like it just, it's much harder to say, okay, I'm at, I'm at 80 miles. I'm going to turn it on now. Yeah. Like, you know, once in a while you can do that, but it doesn't happen very often. So is it <clears throat> risky? I guess that's the gist of what I'm asking. Oh, is uh, it risky? Like a danger? Your, no, it, I don't think so. You know, I'm, I'm not a cardiologist. I don't know, but no, I mean, there's so many people doing the sport now that, that don't. I think, I think the health benefits of staying fit and healthy, even if it's, you know, crazy ultra running, um, far outweigh the, 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 the risks of being sedentary. <clears throat> so the heartbeat of Deemer box and getting back into what we're talking about is that the market potential to reach that, that benchmark of $10 million annually in sales of having a revenue based $10 million in sales doesn't have anything to do with profit margins. And we don't need to under, we don't need to go into that, but that benchmark is, is doable. Is it, a 10 year goal? Is it a one year goal? Is it a 2019 goal to go from 3.8 million to 10 million? Or what is that? What is that benchmark mark timed out at? 
Well, we've always been a conservative company. Um, my partner, Jason, and I were both in the film and TV industry. And, you know, really, it, I think if I get back to our origin story, it will explain a bit about um, the, the growth that we're comfortable with. So um, I made the first steamer box out of an old Pelican military equipment case um, because I needed um, a portable speaker for a job I had in Barrow, Alaska, which was very cold and it was going to be out on the frozen Arctic Ocean. I just needed something that was going to play music and was going to work. So I built this thing and it did its job. But what happened was the crew members who had nothing else to do because um, alcohol is banned up there and it's 20 below zero. And we're all stuck in this crappy little hotel. Um, we listen to music and we listen to music on the steamer box. So people would say, Oh, that thing is so awesome. Like, can you make one for me? So I made another one and my daughter and I made one and I built one for my wife. And then, um, you know, I worked on the TV show survivor and, and I had friends, crew, crew members on survivor saying, Hey, make me one of those steamer boxes. That thing's awesome. So you know, I would build. Did you already name it that? Had you already named it? The um, or did it just get self-acclaimed that through your? I was working on The Apprentice, the Donald Trump show in New York. And my friend, Dana Feintouche, said, you should call it the Deemer box. I love the and, name. Yeah. And, and my last name's Deemer. And so it stuck. We just said, yeah, okay, we'll call it the Deemer box. And we made some stickers and we put it on the case. And, um, you know, that's how it went. So, you know, I would make five or ten at a time give them to my friends. Um, they would generally just pay for the cost of the parts and it would take me two days to put one together and uh, they'd break them. And I'd figure out what broke and fix it. So we were never really thinking about, you know, big production until we ironed out a lot of, you know, the problems. So a couple things happened. Number one, our product was getting better and better and better. And we were also learning how to listen to our customers really listen to them and figure out what they wanted, you know, and what was important and maybe what wasn't as important. So we were really listening to the things that we knew were A, important, and B, that we could actually solve, you know. If someone said, you, you should, um, you know, you should make it uh, launch fireworks. Of course we weren't going to do that because that's just not, you know, that would be like ridiculous. And we got a lot of crazy stuff. Um, we wanted to keep it really simple. So when people said, you should put a radio in it, we thought, well, that means adding more buttons and adding more, you know, parts that we just aren't good at designing. So we, we didn't do that. And we always wanted to just have one button. So it's an on off button because your iPhone can control volume better than something we could build is what, you know, that was sort of our, our thought process. We just wanted to build something that wouldn't let you down in any environment. So you could take it to the beach or you could take it on a family road trip or you could take it down the Grand Canyon or on a surf trip to Fiji or halfway up Everest. And the Demon Boxes have been to all those places and just know that it was going to work for you. You know, it was simple, right? It, it played music loud. It holds your stuff. It's waterproof. It has a long battery life. And we wanted to do those things better than any other portable speaker on the market. Is there any, the first thought that I'm thinking of is, is there anything like it? Is it trademarked? Is it patented? Um, where do you stand on, on the design 
um, brilliancy behind this and the idea because it it really is different. It's original and it's so handy. Has a lot of different uses at the same time, letting you listen to music or podcasts with great audio. I mean, with with zero hiccups. So, is, is there something that you that I don't, I'm not trying to get into? Like, are you worried? But are you protected on this on this idea? Mm, not really. So we we um, we're using a Pelican case. Um, so that's their case. We have trademarked the name and the Mark Deemer box. Um, Jason and I, you know, in the beginning, we, we barely had two nickels to rub together. We we didn't really have the money to 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 pursue a utility or design patents. And because we had already started selling the product, we were kind of too late to do that anyway. We do have a new product that we're developing. Um, I can't tell you about it. It's top secret. It's something that will hopefully come out before Christmas 2019, but we have a patent pending on that, which is pretty exciting. Um, so you don't have to, if you want me to shut up about this part of this talk, I don't care. Just tell me, but your whole deal then is you were first to market with an idea like this. The quality is insane. And now you're leaving it up to your network and your marketing and, and your ability to drive the brand to set forth like, Hey, we were the original, we're the best, we're Deemer box. And if you want to come out and try to screw with this some other way, fine. But you, right, right now I've never seen anything like it. And you, I, I know that you can't ever, you know, guarantee that nobody's going to try it, but that's good. Is that where your mindset is right now with the business? Yes. Um, you know, we do think that we're, we are the most versatile, um, the most dependable, reliable, um, portable speaker you can buy. We're also serviceable. You can send it in and we can fix it. You know, if it's five years old, we can, we can, we can repair it. We can fix anything on the box. I, I can't think of any other, um, audio electronic device that, that has that sort of level of serviceability, unless it's like a, pro audio gear that's thousands of dollars. Um, we're not super concerned about a smaller company taking a case and, and turning a speaker into it. We know how hard it's been for us to do it. We also don't really have secrets. You know, if someone wants to know what kind of Bluetooth chip or what kind of audio chip I've got in my, I, I'll tell them. i I really don't have any secrets. I'll, I'll tear apart a Deemer box and show anyone on YouTube who wants to see it. Like I, I feel like sharing information is good. Um, cause it's hard to do what we've done. Um, and For I sure it is. The, the thing that, the thing that scares me is, um, a company like, you know, like Yeti. So imagine Yeti who, who already makes really great, enclosures, right? Yeti makes things that you put things inside, whether it's a cooler that you put a beer inside or whether it's a duffel bag that you put your clothes inside or a tumbler that you put your coffee inside. That's what they make. And they do it really well. And they're branded really, really well. And you know, not as good as Gator. Gator, <laughs> Gator does it really well. Like, awesome. Gator's, Gator is the best cooler you can buy. I they're think. a huge Deemer box. They are, they are. Um, but, you know, Gator is a lot like Deemerbox where it's a, a couple of brothers who are, who they're scrapping their way and they're, they're making the best damn product that they can and they're selling it at a fair price and Goof, getting goofy there. looking dudes that talk funny. They do talk, they do talk funny. <laughs> I you can't Brad always understand what they're saying. Those, <laughs> the those Roo, Louisiana boys. The Roo, the Roo. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeti comes along and, and does something like this yeah, is what you're say, worried about. Yeah, let's just say they're like, oh yeah, let's make a boombox. That's the next, you know, that's what our our you know our shareholders are going to want us to to diversify into. I don't know. Like, so I think you know we need to keep innovating. We need to get our name out there. We need to keep selling product. We need to keep making it better. But we're not resting. And I would say we're not resting for two reasons. Number one, because I don't like getting beat. I love um, that. I can tell that. Yeah. And number two, because I also know that our product isn't perfect and that we can always make it better. The best analogy is the Deemer Box brand grows to become on, or on its way to becoming quote unquote iconic. And then a company like that comes in and says, well, maybe we cross pollinate and have it, you know, benefit both brands in some way or some capacity. That's way above my pay grade, but I, I would be very suited to be what you're doing is like, let's keep going. Let's just keep being innovative because people are there. That name and the logo and everything about it is one thing. It's cool. Signifies quality. You, the product is based on different uses to where can you put this box in your house and hear it across it no matter how big your house is yes you can is it clear yes is it got bass and treble and everything yes it does can you put this box around at your swimming pool well when i designed some of the places that i've had i go oh yeah we got to have all these different speakers you can see in this house right here look there's one there there's one there there's three in that room there there's four in that room there there's some in the kitchen you don't need it you truly do not need to ever mess with one of those iPads on your wall and get your surround sound going anymore. You need two of these. You Really, that's what you do. And then you can grab onto it with this handle and take it on the airplane as a carry-on and take it to your next little excursion and have it on your tailgate during spring training playing music. Swimming pool. You put two around your pool. You don't need speakers outside anymore. Where Five years ago, you would have to have speakers wired in outside. Or you could take a little speaker out there, but now you got something that you could put in the freaking water with you. It's pretty badass. So if you think about it along those lines and you keep driving the brand like that, and then somebody that doesn't really, you know, Zach Brown has made some personal wealth through the music business. He's a very talented guy. We've already went over that. There's got to be a reason why he sees promise in a brand like this. So to me, it's like, yeah, man, you, what do you do when you get to that point in business to where you have something that somebody else could do you just keep working and you just keep doing what you're doing and, and, and show telling that story because i think that that's what's most interesting is that this guy was working in sound and audio design on some of the top tv shows in the world including survivor which is like in season 40 they do two a year it's huge tenure right i mean it's been the longevity of that show is incredible and they keep getting better you're good friends with the production crew you're good friends with the host you're in a room in Alaska and these guys are like, dude, I need one. I need one. How much cooler can a story get? It's almost like when you read shoe dog by Phil Knight and you hear about when he, what he did of designing shoes and running track in Oregon and all that. It's like, how much cooler can a brand get? Like you're, you literally went and did this to, so you could have something for your job to make your job better. Maybe make your boss or if you were your own boss to be like, man, that's a good idea. And now all of a sudden, you, it's too cold to go. There's no beer up there. So you guys are sitting there listening to music and probably having a karaoke contest. And that's how Deemer Box is born. 
You start making a few for your buddies, one for your wife, one for your daughter, her friends see it and they're like, holy shit, I want one of those. To me, that's like as cool a way as a brand can be born. And now coolers have been around since the beginning of time. I mean, they've been around for a long time. I remember the ones that my dad used to carry his lunch in. You know, you push the button, it would fold over the igloos. Then there was the Coleman's and there's been coolers being sold forever. Then Yeti comes along. It wasn't the first Roto molded cooler. It wasn't, it wasn't their idea. Maybe it was, and I might be speaking out of turn, but I think there was another company in Iowa that, that was first to market with one potentially. These guys just branded it. The lifestyle, the, the, the nature, the, the bears attacking it, the, you know, the, the uses of a Yeti, you know, and well, how much is one? Well, they're like 450, what? 450 bucks for a cooler. Now everybody and their mom's got a $60 tumbler. Think about what they did to the market and disrupting the market. So for them to come along and say, well, we're going to go into this, uh, this floatable waterproof speaker box. They're going to have to have it in their head. Like, whoa, man, we're, we're not the one, we're not the ones doing that. There's this company out there that's badass and they've already perfected it. That's the way my mind works is that Yeti's got to come to us and be like, Hey, let's, let's work together because y'all are onto something there. Next, I don't know. I don't know where that goes, but it's cool that you're not threatened by it or you're not worried about it because your ideas are so rooted. Think about that, that word in business. Think about how important that is in a marriage, in a friendship, in a brotherhood. Think about, Zach has a song called Roots. I don't know why we keep referring back to Zach Brown, but he has a song called Roots. How rooted is this brand? You can't get any more rooted. It was born and conceived out of necessity for a television show and turned into the baddest ass Bluetooth accommodating speaker there is with tons of other ability. I don't know if you can F with that. I don't know if you could F with that. I, I don't think, know if you can. I think, you know, I could tie this back to the, to the ultra running thing a little bit and say that, you know, like in, in terms of um, competition, you know, you, you know, when you're running a hundred miles, there's only one thing that you can control and that's yourself, right? You can't control other people that are running the race. They're, they're just doing their thing and you're doing your thing. So you have to stay super focused on what you're doing and do it the best that you possibly can and then let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's, that's really, you know, how I approach Deemer boxes. I'm just going to, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to give every day the best that I can give it and, and, honor my customers with the absolute best customer service. Cause that's the most important thing to me with the exception of, um, the happiness of my employees. Cause that's, um, equally as important. And then, you know, m making a great product. Great product. Yeah. I think that the ideology of what you're saying is, and I think there are certain people within an infrastructure of a brand and one day Deemer box might have 400 employees, who knows? But some people in that infrastructure are going to be the ones that their job title and their job description includes worrying about what the competition does. My mindset doesn't allow that. I've never been that guy to wake up and go on social media and go, man, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what, how good of a picture they, I wonder what their print ad campaign looks like. I wonder what their digital ad, I wonder what, I don't do that. I stay in my lane, maybe maybe not a hundred percent because I diversify into different areas, but I stay in my lane once I get the thought of like, I can't worry about what another TV show does. 
I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, but in no way, shape, or form would I ever try to be Joe Rogan because I'm not as talented as him. I'm not as intelligent as him. I'm not as well-versed in, in so many different dialects and as far as different origins of culture that he is. I don't try to compete with him. I try to do it different. I try to just bring my own flavor to it and be like, hey, I want to have a good conversation with James Deemer about the story of this brand that really intrigues me to wake up and kick ass every day in America. And that's how I think Box stands apart is like, you do stay in your lane. You do have the great ideas. You've already mastered it. Now you come out with some accessories, you come out with some new products, and you you just you just keep evolving the brand into something that probably when you were sitting in that hotel room in Alaska, you're like, yeah, I can make you a box, but you had no way that you, you I've heard you throw around numbers. I won't say names, but you've sold 4,000 boxes to one person before one company. Think about that. It went from a hotel room in negative 30 degrees in Anchorage to selling 4,000 of these freaking things to one dude. Think about that. And having Zach Brown come on as your partner because he saw the promise in it. The conversation isn't anywhere near over. I'm just excited about it. That's why I'm talking with such this, like, you met Bubba today. This is my Bubba voice. Like, this is like, when, when I tap somebody, it's like, hey, man, here's a love tap. Good game, coach. He'll like push forearm shiver you into the wall because he gets so excited about life, right? It's like, that's the Bubba mentality. But um, I think that where the brand is and where the brand's going is where I want, where I wanted this conversation to go. I wanted to figure out where your mindset was because I don't think it's normal to run a hundred miles without stopping. I don't think it was, or I'd be doing it. I guess I wouldn't be doing it because I'm not normal either. But if it was easy, I think a lot more people would be doing it and be a lot more on the forefront, which I know that's what it's starting to get. But something in your mind is is different to be able to beat those thresholds. And I love that word threshold. A lot of people don't understand what a threshold is. And, and, and to get over that for a hundred mile race and then to take that hotel room experience that night and see where it's evolved and then say quotes like we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And now we just did 3.8 million in 2018. And that was only because we had more people to turn the screws with a screwdriver and our, and our benchmark is 10 million off of one box. When somebody said, man, karma chameleon, karma, 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 chameleon. I know that's what you're listening to that night. Yeah. When you were listening to boy George that night with all them dudes from survivor and those girls in that room. And that one dude goes, Hey, I want one of these. And now look at it. That's pretty badass. At that time though, you, you really had zero intentions of making Deemer box a brand or a business when you made that one for work and you're in that hotel room. It was, Never did it even cross your mind that this is what you'd be doing for a few years down the road. How long ago was that? That was in, I believe it was 2009 and yeah, zero intention. I just made one thing to solve a problem and it turned into, um, something that other people were interested in. I've always been a maker of stuff. I think I learned it from my mom. My mom's always been real good with her hands and, and building stuff. So no, I grew up with her making everything from furniture to, dolls out of corn husks and even now she's still like crazy good knitter and um does a lot of boiled wool creatures she builds these little sculptural creatures out of out of boiled wool it's kind of amazing so um it's just been fun for me to i've always taken much more satisfaction in making my own things than buying stuff you know i made my own bicycle frame i learned how to weld cut the tubes, you know, I made a, you know, hot tub out of an old hundred year old wine barrel once. I 
built my own um, pizza oven by digging up the clay from the local riverbed and mixing it with sand and, you know, made the beehive in the traditional way. I I always like making stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you enjoy creating, innovating, and I just think it's pretty compelling to know that somebody said, Hey, make me one of those. You hear that all the time. Hey man, get me one of those. Or I wonder if that's how the first cocktail was contrived, you know, like, Hey, make me one of those. That tastes awesome. You know, Jack and Coca-Cola mixed really like make me one of those, you know, like now you're sitting on top of a, a brand that's, that's kind of. I don't know if it's really taken over the Bluetooth market because there's a lot of competition and and I don't know if you could really take that over with with all of the different ways to get your audio or your you know your your musical needs now. But I I think that when you can apply the success or you know, if you go back to the story of the brand, you can easily see why it's being successful of yeah, you only did this out of necessity, and then when somebody gave you the validation that it's legit. That's what drove you to develop it into something to where you could take it to market and then attract investment and then deliver on an ROI and create, you know, different product lines or accessories for that current product line. I don't know, man. I don't think that you can really get a better storyline of a brand. So now you're in that room in Alaska and that guy says, hey, make me one of those. Did you automatically go, yeah, man, I'll get on it tomorrow. Or did it take you a little bit to go back and say, I really, you know, you know, I'm busy. I got my job right now on the set of Survivor. How long did it take you to go back and really start finding the parts to make them? I think I did it. I think I did it pretty fast. I, you know, I, I'm also someone who has a hard time saying no. And especially if it's something that I'm really into. So um, I had fun making the first one and, and honestly I had fun making, you know, all the ones that I've built because each one was a little different. I kept making them better and better. Um, so it wasn't like doing my taxes or cleaning the bathroom, you know, this is something I actually wanted to do. Um, and I got to play with things like soldering irons and drill presses and, um, I've never been a big woodworker, but I like working in metal and plastic and, you know, things like that. So I built my first speaker when I was 12 out of a shoebox. You know, I took some old speaker that I got at the dump or at the Goodwill or something and took it apart and I took a shoebox and put the speaker in it and figured out how it worked. And, you know, that was a satisfying project. And and so I've always sort of dabbled in making speakers and then I started building amplifier circuits. I'm not an electrical engineer by any stretch of the imagination, but I learned just enough to kind of figure out how to, you know, how an amp circuit works and I was buying kits and populating them and changing and modifying some of the components to make them sound better and then putting those in enclosures that I, you know, would build. This was before the, you know, that first Deemer box. So even even the first Deemer box you know, there was an evolution to that. It was just... So you, at the time though, you were working in audio for TV. So you were in charge of making sure that like, let's, let's, one of your shows was Survivor that you're on in Alaska. You're making sure that the contestants are mic'd up or you're like the director of audio, making sure that every word is, is set, is, is captured. Because I've always said you can watch shitty TV or you can, you can listen to shitty TV more than you can watch good TV with terrible audio. So if, if it's bad TV and it's still got good sound, it doesn't turn you away nearly as fast as if you turn that on and went, 
man, that's really cool. Oh man, that sounds terrible, right? Audio is important. So you've always had an ear then, you know, to make that your profession for 17 years, you have an ear for that. So is that what you were doing on the set of Survivor at the time was audio? Yeah, it was. And and actually the, the Alaska, um, project was a, was a low budget movie that I worked on it. The survivor was, um, in, in different locations, but well before survivor, you know, I guess my story, if you want to know, it's, um, how I got there. I, I never went to college. Um, I spent my time working in kitchens, learning how to cook and, and frankly just traveled around the country and, and had different odd jobs from driving cars through an auto auction. I worked in a futon factory. I made hot air balloons um, you know, I washed a lot of dishes, um, man, you name it, I did it. Uh, and I ended up in Portland, Maine when I was 22 and got a job at a bike shop and realized how much I liked turning wrenches and putting bikes together and fixing bicycles. And that was a lot of fun. So, uh, and I, I met my, my wife around that time and we got married had a baby and I realized I couldn't continue to work at a bike shop because it was essentially a, you know, minimum wage job. It was a lot of fun, but it wasn't a career for a young father. So I tried a lot of different things. I worked as a mechanic in a car garage. I tried selling computer software for a couple weeks. Um, I even worked with my wife who is a professional photographer and that didn't work. So I, I don't really know how it happened. I, I had an epiphany essentially where I, thought, you know, I want to do sound for, for movies. I didn't know anything about it. Um, my wife said that's a crazy idea, but there's a place called the, um, the main international film and television workshops. That's not, it's not quite the right name, but it's, it's in Rockport, Maine. And they do these courses every year where you can learn how to do everything from, you know, camera work to directing, to set design and all this stuff. And I took a week long sound course and uh, totally fell in love with it. I sold my car and I bought $10,000 worth of equipment and I basically just started looking for any job I could get. The first job, the first job I got actually was before I bought the equipment, it cost me money because I had to rent the gear to do the job that was a freebie. But um, I scrapped my way um, for years, you know, little, could be like a corporate, a corporate gig or a, TV commercial or whatever. Um, I was on a, a little low budget, um, film on Martha's Vineyard one winter. And, uh, the director of photography was a guy from Scotland who was living in New York city. His name was Michael McDonough and we hit it off really well. And he said, Hey, I'm, I'm doing a little, um, <clears throat> short with Francis McDormand next week in New York city. You should come, you should come on down and, and do it. So I've, you know, filled my station wagon full of my gear and went down to New York and we did this little short film and it won a big award at the Museum of Modern Art. And Michael Moore of all people um, saw the saw the short and said, this is good, I'm doing a music video, so you guys wanna shoot it? Or does Michael wanna shoot it? Michael said, sure, I'll shoot it, but you gotta hire James, my sound guy. So I did playback on that. It was for um, this band REM. And, uh, never, never heard, yeah, of, never heard of them <laughs> losing my religion. So, right. It was actually, it's funny cause it was the song, uh, all the way to Reno. Oh really? Yeah. All the way to cool. Reno, which was not a big hit, but, yeah. uh, but that was, you know, a super way out of my comfort zone because I had never 
done anything, you know, like that for a big band, but we got through it. And then, um, I got to work on Bowling for Columbine that summer, which, um, won an Academy Award and basically put me on the map. You know, I, suddenly my, my resume got a lot fatter and it got a lot easier to get work. So I ended up doing a lot of reality TV in New York City and that's how I got on The Apprentice and then Survivor and working with Bear Grylls and, you know, one thing led to another and suddenly I had a career, uh, which was cool. Wow. Yeah, I did. Uh, I like I did. the sentence about how you tried to work with your wife and her photography business and that didn't work. Like you didn't go into much detail about that. You just weren't driving or you wasn't, it was, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you would think that that could have been a good thing with your artistic, you know, flavor, but you fell in love with audio and it takes you into literally you know, buying two turntables and a microphone, you know, and you yeah. get in your station wagon and, and drive across the country and you're getting these little odd and ends jobs that turns into a music video with Michael Moore, who's a, you know, an Oscar winning producer and documentary badass. And then you're, you, I guess you, you know, Deemer box was born out of that week long audio course to let you fall in love. Everything evolved off of that week long course that your wife said, Hey man, go check this out. You know, I don't know where this is going to go, but at least you can go get some education under your belt. And it, it just opened up a ton of doors. That's exactly how it happened. Here's a, here's a little fun, funny little end to that story. So the car that I sold to buy my sound gear was a 1982 BMW Alpina B7S. It was number 13 of 60 made. And I think I, I think I bought it for 10 grand and sold it for 11 or 12, something like that. I made a little bit of money. I was pretty happy, you know, proud of myself for making two grand. Um, one just went to auction like a week ago in Europe. It was number 22, I believe. And it sold for 150,000 euro, which is probably close to $200,000. <laughs> so the car that, you know, I mean, that car launched my career and my whatever. It's like, yeah, but you did yeah. 3.8 million last year. I know, I know. I would never, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change a thing. I saw a Ferrari deal on an auction yesterday or the day before that went for 4.7 million. They made like 10 of them in 2017 or 18, went for 4.7 million. It's got like 990 horsepower. And I was like, four and a half million dollars for a freaking car. That's like a jet. I mean, it's way below. I mean, yeah, there's planes that don't cost yeah. that, you know, but so you, you have a, I mean, I don't know if we're fast forwarding too much, but that night in that hotel room now was you were on another job doing a low budget movie in Alaska. This guy says, make me one of those. You, you know, you don't like to say no to people when you want to get on top of this deal. Where are you, where are you at though in your mind as far as the, the quality of sound that you want to deliver, right? What is it a worldwide search for the right components to make the right speakers that have the right woofer, the right, the, the, you know, all of the different types of a speaker that go into it. This box is really just two speakers that are the same exact thing. So it's not like back in the day where you'd get your bazooka tubes and then you would get your six by nines and you would have your woofers and you'd have, you know, there was a lot of different components with an equalizer and a receiver and everything that made the perfect sound. Now you're putting this into one box with two speakers on it. You got another one coming out that just got one speaker. 
you're a perfectionist when it comes to sound because that's what that week-long class taught you. You're not getting paid by these guys to do movies and documentaries like Bowling for Columbine unless you have a great ear for audio. And I know that with your mindset, you're not going to put something out there that has shitty audio or, or, or doesn't produce great sound when you're listening to whether it's R&B, rap, country, rock, southern, whatever it is. Where are you? Is, are you having a hard time finding that right speaker? Are you designing the right speaker? How do, how do you come about that? Yeah, that's um, that was part of the fun and the frustration. You know, we have a a, a, a just a pile of broken Deemer boxes. You know, it's sort of our graveyard of um, Pelican cases that we tried different speaker combinations, different port tube holes and lengths. Um, uh, different speaker brands. And it, it really took, you know, a lot of trial and error to get the sound just right. Yes. I'm a perfectionist when it comes to sound quality. I chose a full range driver. That's what that's called. When you have just one driver that can hit all the frequencies, the, the full frequency spectrum, um, versus like a woofer and a tweeter, um, for a couple reasons. Number one, because it's easier to waterproof. Um, and I like things simple. So you have one full range driver that, that, um, solves the problem of, you know, two or three different speakers. Um, number two, when you have say a woofer and a tweeter, then you need a thing called a crossover and the crossover is the thing that says, okay, you know, when a frequency gets to a certain point, it's going to switch from the woofer, the, the bigger speaker to the tweeter, the, 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 the bigger, the little speaker. And so, you know, there's a chance that you can lose fidelity or you can have a dip in your frequency response um, at that crossover point, or, or it could be amplified. So it's just a little bit trickier to build in. It's more parts that can break. Um, so there's nothing wrong with two or three-way or four-way speakers, but for a simple, reliable, portable speaker that's meant to just work wherever you take it and sound good, a high-quality full-range driver is the way to go. Our full range drivers, they're three inch drivers. They have an aluminum cone and a full rubber surround. So they're fully waterproof. And then we have a a pneumatic, giant pneumatic clicker press and we make our own speaker gaskets out of um, EPDM rubber that, you know, just finding the right thickness and the right durometer or hardness of that rubber, that was like so much work. There's so many little details into the Deemer box that you don't even think about. Like, you know, how hard should it be to press the on off button so that it doesn't get pushed on, you know, accidentally, but you can still turn it on without having to scoot the box across the table. Um, Our speakers use neodymium magnets for the drivers. And the reason we choose those is because there's a tremendous amount of power to be had in a very lightweight magnet. Um, they cost a lot more than a ferrite magnet. So ferrite magnets are big and heavy and they work great, but they're big and they're heavy. So um, that's a detail that 99.9% of consumers don't think about or care about, but it's something that makes our product better. Um, We took apart a competitive product, I don't know, six months ago or so. We counted 137 screws had 137 screws in it holding it together. And I'm thinking like, well, you know, why, why do you need to have 137 screws? We have, we have eight screws. They're stainless steel. Um, 
Everything is fully rebuildable and replaceable. It takes, it takes two tools to tear apart a Deemer box and put it back together. Now, we wanted it to be really simple. Um, we wanted it to be repairable. We want to just use the best possible parts that we can use. So we're using you know, the highest quality lithium-ion batteries that we can get. There are different grades of batteries, and we're using top-grade batteries. So they have the best capacity, um, the least chance of failure. You can abuse them, they keep working. Um, our circuit board, we, we conformally code it. So um, basic, oops, basically you can um, use it in a tropical environment where there's a lot of humidity and that humidity isn't gonna rust out the parts on the box. That was really important on the circuit board. That was important to us. Um, and that's something that you don't see, right? No one's gonna see that unless you took the box apart. Right. But it's something that means something to us because we care about how this product works for you three years from now. You know, we want you to have the same experience three years from now that you have the day you buy it, and that's a good one. How much, how much does the housing and the current product that we're looking at right here, you know, the, the circuit board, the housing, all of the, the cones, how much does it s- look like the one that was in that hotel room in Alaska as far as the way it was built? Has there been a ton of changes and evolve, evolution into what we're looking at now from that one? Well, you know, it's funny because we still have that first one and it still works. Um, it looks, you'd look at it and you'd say, oh, that's Deemer box for sure. Um, that's cool. Yeah. No, it looks very similar, but. Was that a, was that a point you wanted to make that you didn't want to, that, that was what you yeah. pictured when you went to market with this? You wanted to keep it kind of like that one in the hotel room? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, Jason, my partner and I have, you know, our, our thing has sort of always been like, if someone says, I don't know what that is, but I want it, then it's a successful design. You know, people like the way our product looks. It looks very different than pretty much any other portable speaker out there. Um, you know, we, we used to say it kind of looks like a, it's like a speaker version of a Tonka truck. I don't know if oh, yeah. Chad, when you were a kid, you I had always one of those. put one knee in the back of the dump totally. truck and you fly, ride that thing down. A lot the hill. of stitches. I remember one kid, Jeff Schultz, stuck his foot out in front of the front wheel. I went flying over and landed right on the oven in the kindergarten room, and I was in the ambulance. I still don't like that dude. He's very successful in town. Now I like Jeff. Now we get along now. That's but he hilarious. got me. He got me my ass whipped on a Tonka truck. So the, your your partner is is uh excuse me i'm sorry jason, jason. i jason kept wanting to say jeff just to me yeah. why why do you need jason after you this guy says you need, will you make me one of those what what role did jason need to play in the in the brand oh, jason jason jason's you know is um, he special he is special i i like to think that the sum of our partnership is more than two um we're really it's, good. It is. It's 3.8 million yeah. right now. Yeah, you're right. It's, <laughs> it's way more than two. <laughs> we, um, we have very different skill sets. Jason is a, you know, he's, he's a guy that can look at something and say, yeah, but how do we, how do we um, manufacture that, right? So he's the one that figured out how to make it waterproof. I figured out how to make it sound good. And then he's the one that figured out how to... Um, plug the port with the, you know, our port plug um, so that you could throw the thing in the pool. Um, I'm the guy that said we need to injection mold parts and he's the guy that figured out how to do it. So he's a real doer. He's the one that when we partnered up with Zach, 
single-handedly built our shop and our production line and figured out how to make it twice as efficient as it was when we had a shop in Maine. So he's... And now your shop is within the Southern Ground campus? Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. So when you say throw it in the pool, this thing, how I have them standing right now, okay, Mm -hmm. is my favorite way to listen to a Deemer box when I'm out out of the water. Yeah. If I'm in a boat, if I'm anywhere, I have it sitting like this, which, you know, it's on the... Those are kind of like stands, right? This is the normal way for it to be? Yeah. Or, yeah, you can either have it like this or sometimes, you know, now put is, it like that. Now, when it's like that, that would be how it's in the pool, right? That's how it's going to lay if you... If well, you, if you... Part of the, you know, one of the things that we need to fix on future generations of a Deemer box is it's it's lid heavy. But if you so, have a couple things in it, like you said, yeah. I could put a, like I, this one, you, you felt my green one today. Yeah. I have it. I got knives in there and some other things yeah. to surprise people yeah. with. But that thing is going to sit like that in the pool, right? It's going to. Yeah. So it, it, Deemer boxes float for one thing. So if you put it in the pool, it's going to float. The, the, the problem is if you don't put a couple cans of soda or whatever in there, it's going to float with the speakers down in the water. So we suggest to people, you put a couple heavy things in there and it'll float facing up. Is the audio quality the same when it's pointed up like that? Is it is it more of a directional thing? Or are you just hearing it with because of the different direction that the audio is being sent out of the box? Because when it's like this is my favorite way to listen to it, but there's only one way to listen to it when it floats, which is straight up. Are you going to get the same quality of audio in no matter which way the speakers are facing? Obviously, as long as they're not facing down in the water in the pool. No. Speakers are directional, so you're going to get better audio quality. You know, if you're if you if you put this thing, it's like the old TDK ad, you know, where the guy sitting in the chair getting blown away. You know, his his like tie is flying back. Oh, yeah. um, the speaker, like that's really the best way to listen to something is to measure six or eight feet. You know, and you sit with your head at speaker level. Like that's ultimately what you want to do. But no one listens to music like that. Um, Can't. You just can't, right? You're making dinner or whatever. So if you if you walk off axis, you know, if, you, if you're if you standing right in front of that Deemer box and you walk 20 degrees off axis, um, the sound's going to change. You're going to lose a little bit of that, that high end. The higher the frequency, the more directional it is. So those real high cymbal crashes and stuff, you know, they're, they're going straight out. That's why, like, you can hear the bass from a concert from, like, a mile away. But you don't hear the high frequencies until you're right there. That's because they're very directional, right? right? They go in one direction. But those, those low frequencies travel in all directions. So, you know, you're going to hear the bass if you stand behind a Deemer box or any speaker. You're going to hear, hear that, you know, low frequency, but you're not going to hear the high frequency. So if you flip the Deemer box onto its back so the speakers are pointing up, what's going to happen is, you know, the the speakers are going to bounce off the ceiling if it's in your kitchen or, you know, if you're walking around a room or there's just a lot of people there, sometimes it's a way to disperse the sound. What if you're on the lake and you have it attached to you? I, my favorite thing is, you know, you're out in your tube or, and you have it tied off to, to a tube. Yeah. What, what's is there's nothing that it's bouncing off of there. Where is the best place to listen to it? Where where would you be? How far away do you want it to be when the speakers are facing straight up like that? Oh, you know, I think I would say I, that's where I love having Deemer Box owners send me pictures of their solutions. 
and people get super creative with how they use our product. So, you know, maybe someone's figured out that, yeah, that's, it is two cans of three cans of Red Bull in the right spot in there. And it causes the speaker to float in just the right way. And that's what they like. You know, I don't yeah. know. I think, I think having these speakers pointed. It's a cool marketing you, plan. Show for, us how you listen to your Deemer. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. What, what do you put inside your Deemer box to get it to float right? Which is yeah. one of the most exciting things that I'm, or that I'm ready for, for this new year and the evolution of the product now is the word parable. So talk to me a little bit about, the new ones coming out are going to be able to be paired with another Deemer box. Does that mean they can only be paired with another Deemer or can they be paired with another Bluetooth speaker device? I haven't tried it with any other devices. We're using the latest Qualcomm Bluetooth chip. It's the same chip that JBL uses in their top end um, portable speaker. But I believe the pairing protocol might be only Deemer box to Deemer box. I believe. Okay, good. But I haven't tested it. So and it's and only, how many? And it's only the you can only pair the new Deemer box to the new Deemer box. You can't pair a new Deemer box to an old Deemer box. Could anybody ever get an old Deemer box that could be pairable of one they have right now? Is that ever going to be offered through your services and factory? Possibly, Possibly, because it's the the circuit board fits the new circuit board that has the pairability and the battery indicator and all that stuff fits in the old Deemer box. So because we possibly though we don't know if we're gonna if I have an old one mm -hmm. and I and I don't know James or anybody but mm -hmm. I want mine to be pairable when this new one is launched. There's a potential that the customer base could get their old style pairable. Yes. And how many speakers? How many Deemer boxes can be paired together at once? Um, I believe, uh, I want to say we've tested up to 30 at once so far. It's in a ridiculous amount. Jesus Christ. You no, could have a, a whole sound a, system for a concert. It's a lot. Yeah, you could. I mean, it's, you'd still have to kind of manually pair everyone, but more, more than you would, more than anyone's ever going to pair. You can pair So here's the ultimate swimming pool, pool party right out mm -hmm. here to your left, to your right. One Deemer box floating in the water with the right amount of weight in there to distribute it and, mm -hmm. and balance it out and then three to four of them around the pool in different places some high some water level maybe think about that the yeah. sound that you're going to get being able to pair these things the, a pool party or any backyard in america for a barbecue or a tailgate party or whatever you literally have been you've given people the ability to control all of their audio and all of their Bluetooth audio, all of their sound design for their in-house, their backyards, their tailgate parties, their camping sites, their whatever it is. And I'm not saying that there's not other Bluetooth options out there, but with this one, being able to pair them and being able to have it be an indestructible like this with the sound quality, with everything else that the unit offers with, let's not forget 50 hours on one battery charge. When your charger that comes with the Deemer box, you plug it into the wall, the light will be red. When that light turns to green, meaning that you're at 100%, there'll be a battery indicator on the new ones. That's right. So the user, the end consumer is going to be able to know if he's how much percentage he has left. Is that going to be by a, a number or like a, a gauge or a thermometer? It's, it's five LEDs and it's not just a, we didn't just use a, a simple circuit. We're actually using the most sophisticated battery control microprocessor we could find. So it, it actually takes into account how many times the battery's been charged, what the ambient temperature is, what the volume you're listening to your, your Deemer box is. And it, 
and it has this very sophisticated algorithm that calculates how much battery life you have. But left. you didn't go to school. You're not well, I didn't design educated. that. I just, I just knew it was out there and we have a great, we have so a very you found smart the electrical, algorithm. we have a, no, I didn't write the algorithm. I have an electrical. I have yeah. a feeling you helped write it, James. I didn't. Not at all? <laughs> no, no, but, um, I did. What's it missing yeah. then? What does this thing not have? What, what, I mean, I don't want to give away any industry secrets, but right now you're telling me that for the price, the price of this thing is what blows my mind too, how affordable it is. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't want to speak out of turn on exactly, but what the new one is going to cost. But I think you had told me less than a month ago when we were in Nashville together that it was going to be the same. 249. Oh yeah. So the 249 for the single speaker, 349 for the new two speaker model. 349 with everything that you get with this. Yeah. Will they ever be sold in a two package for, for a parable package or combo? That'll be the foul life special. <laughs> the foul. Yeah, See what I'm talking. Yep. Okay, look, I don't know what this is going to bring, but Bubba, who you know is one of my boys, mm-hmm. one of our boys here, we love him. He just sent me these videos, so he's involved. You met with Anthony today. They're yeah. involved in this body mass index loss yeah. program. It's lasted since it started it. January first, and the winner gets nine thousand dollars cash. So he's out. He made a makeshift. Um, he made a makeshift workout with tires and jumps. Oh, this yeah. is all at his farm. And he's got his Deemer box out oh, there. Yeah, that's awesome. He's, list, he's listening to Jamie Johnson while he's working do, out. Do you know what I love? Like, So I'm looking at his Deemer box, and it's covered in stickers. And I'm looking at your Deemer boxes, and it's covered in stickers. What? Oh, yeah, there you go. He's flipping the tire. Now, let me Ooh. tell you something about stickers. Bubba, one of his jobs here at TFL and Bannon and everything is... He's this sticker connoisseur. Like this guy's nuts about. Remember when you had to, you know, uh, thank God that refrigerators don't really, you know, magnets and stuff. He would cover his refrigerator when he was a kid with stickers. I would never allow that. His skateboard, you couldn't see the design on it. His truck window, I'm like, how do you even see out of the back window? He he'll like the other day we were talking with my guy Kevin at Oakley. He's like, tell Kevin to send us a bunch of decals. So Kevin sends up this huge uh, gift box of Oakley decals and the next thing you know every cooler all of these coolers out there are stickered by bubba all of my deemer boxes are stickered by bubba he takes a lot of pride in his sticker placement the angles the combinations the color coordination how they go together and he does it but he like what i'm saying is that he has so much pride in his deemer box he takes it everywhere he goes so he's got these badass shots pictures and videos he paddle boards across donner pretty much five days a week in the summer spring and summer he takes it and he bungee cords it down to the front of it. I think I saw a picture on your feed one day of another customer that does that. Yeah. Bubba does the same thing. He'll have his two-year-old or three-year-old baby Oakley in there and then his steamer box and they'll paddle the whole lake. That's the cool. whole lake. He's wow. got a little Oakley in his life vest. You know, you talk about being a water baby. Oakley was born on the water. Bubba was a professional wakeboarder. Yeah. He's still a stud wakeboarder. He's a stud water skier. He's a stud wake surfer. He now he, he loves the paddleboard. I love to paddleboard. He's way better at it. He does paddleboard races and, and all this shit. But um He's got his Deemer box there. He works out with his Deemer box. When he's shoveling snow, I showed you those videos. His landscaping business, he's got his Deemer box. Yeah. Well, the, with the sound quality, the 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 volume control on this and the the ability for the volume to reach way out there with the quality of speakers you're using, 
I could see every landscape company in the country using one of these. Every outdoor enthusiast that's working using one of these. I listen to a lot of podcasts. They, they sound so clean on this. Every day I'm using my Deemer box. Where before, I didn't take, I wasn't so giddy about getting my Bluetooth hooked up to my iPhone. I would just turn my iPhone on and listen to it there and be close enough to where I could get what I needed to get out of that podcast or that song I was trying to listen to. If I could take my Deemer box into the gym, which I do at Matt's because it's a private gym, he's like, dude, this blows my speaker system away. I can't take it into my public gym because people would be like, dude, you can't listen to Slipknot that loud. You know, I'm trying to enjoy my workout, you know? So that, that, that's, uh, I don't know why you wouldn't have one of these. It's one of those products that if the consumer educates himself on just a little tiny bit, word of mouth, and especially if they could put one in their hands and open it up. And when you open it up, it's the seal is awesome on it. There's no water that's going to get inside of it. So you could open it up. And when you do, again, it comes with the charger. And, and then it comes, it comes with, will the new ones have all of the th same things that the original style does on it? Will they float different or will you still have to plug them? Will they come with a plug still? Uh, yes, still have to plug and they come with a plug. The single speaker has a smaller plug because it has a smaller porthole. Um, and we, we turned the base port tube um, 90 degrees to give you more room inside the box. But, um, but they still will come with the plug. Yep. So that plug will come out of its, if yep. its housing yeah, under the lid. This is the plug right here. And then you take that out and you, and then you can close the lid and then the plug will go in from the outside. Right. Plugging it, making it 100% waterproof and making the sound quality in the bass a little bit more clear or no? When you put the plug in, you lose a little bit of bass. You lose a little um, bit of bass. Right. And, because and so it's that's not what that, It's a bass. This is what's called a ported enclosure. It's a standard style of making a speaker. It's a bass port. Um, it gives you more bass for the size of the case. By plugging it, you lose a little bit of bass. We honestly haven't had many customers complain that they lose bass because generally when they're in an environment, when they're like floating in the pool or they're on their, you know, their, their racing yacht or they're tubing down the river, you know, the bass isn't the thing that they really care about at that moment. They just want to have good loud sound for their friends right? in a reliable speaker. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah. I'm not, I like bass. I like good sound. Yeah. I like something that's balanced. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I'd be, I become so critical of audio. And you don't lose a lot of bass. You just yeah, lose a little bit of bass. I love it when it's plugged. Yeah. And then, so when you open the lid of your case and your box, you see the USB port, meaning you can charge your phone. This thing has a 50 hour light battery life with one charge. You can charge an iPhone, no problem on this many times with your USB, your iPhone charging cord without the wall plug in the 110. It has the port to charge this unit right here. Um, what is, there's a headphone jack? Yeah, there's a there's a jack if you wanna plug your, your, say you have an old iPod that doesn't have Bluetooth, you can plug it in. Or say you wanna plug it into your computer to watch a movie at home. What we'll do is we'll take that, you know, the stereo mini cable that it comes with. It's a three foot long stereo mini cable. Plug it into the Deemer box, run the cable through the base port, and then plug it into your computer. So now you can close the box. How sick is yeah. that? I want to have a yeah. wall of Deemer boxes mm -hmm. in my studio 
for when the big screen's on, I want every, like a whole different array of color combination uh, Deemer boxes underneath it pumping the sound yeah. out. That's we, what I'm going to do. We built, there was a guy who wanted a, um, you know, screen and a projector, but he could project outside. And so we did an array of, I think it was five Deemer boxes on each side. We wired them together and man, that got super Sick. loud. I want to do super that. Super loud. And then when, and then inside the case is just a waterproof case with a waterproof seal. Water can't get into it. So when you're floating on that river and you're fly fishing, you got your licenses in there. You have your knife in there. You have your wallet in there, your truck keys. You have your boat, whatever it is that you can keep it in there. It's going to float. Yeah. Your sunscreen, your sunscreen, your whatever you want. I mean, I have, you felt how heavy mine is. I carry mm -hmm. some stuff in it now. I travel with it. I, I check, I don't check it on. I carry it on to every flight that I go on. And when I get to the place I'm going, when I'm unpacking and putting stuff in the news, you know, I travel a lot. I got my Deemer box playing. Yeah. Got that audio. Boom. Turn that little, the power button's right on the front underneath the logo. Turn it on. It Bluetooths automatically to my phone. I have five Deemer boxes set up on this iPhone right here. It hits the one that I, that I have with me at that time. Boom. And it's, uh, it's ready to go listening to music, listening to a podcast, getting ready in the shower. You can hear whatever it is you, I love music and i love good quality audio and now you 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 buckle it back down and, and and secure it by the by the by you know closing the box back up and and clamping the closures back down and anybody that knows the brand name pelican knows that they're synonymous with one thing and that's protection security and quality so that's three things we've worked with pelican a lot in the past from their camera cases i mean steven spielberg's guys his text the people in hollywood there's so many camera crews that rely on the pelican brand to get them you know to get their equipment somewhere we travel all of our high dollar cameras in back of trucks, in trailers, in four wheelers, in airplanes, in Pelican cases. That's what they were really known for. A lot of their stuff's molded in, in, in right here in Long Beach, California, and down the coast of California. And their quality, they got nice stuff. And I know that you have a good working relationship with them. So you're getting that security and that quality of a, of a Pelican box, which is pretty much worth the 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 you know close to what you're paying you know just the case itself is worth a pretty good amount of money and now you 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 add in all of the features of the speakers and the audio and the experience you know that's what deemer box is it's listening to your music is a it's an experience it's not just another bluetooth thing and that's what i was getting at i never really had pride or got giddy about pit hooking my phone up to another one the any of them in this one man i'm just like yep that's my deemer box and everybody that sees it you, you talk to Jim Ray today, who's going to help cook tonight. Hopefully he cooks it all to where me and you can just chill. He's a really good cook. But what did he tell you? Just bought a Deemer box. Bubba, I just showed you his video of his Deemer box. Everybody that sees them wants them. And we're just getting started. I mean, out here anyway. In, in my world, it's like I'm just getting started. And the hunting world, I mean, I could take my snow goose sounds and put these out in my snow goose spread, have some of the ones that you have that you call the stormtrooper, you know, the white ones, and boom, you got your snow goose audio sounds because you're allowed to use audio in the spring season for snow goose hunting predator hunting there's predator hunters that could tie their mp3 or their bluetooth sounds into this and take it out and, and call a predator in i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but coyotes come into like a, a rabbit in oh, distress yeah. call and you can do that kind of stuff so this thing is so multifunctional it's sickening dude yeah that's we've had a number of customers buy deemer boxes with the intention of using it as a predator call or possibly snow goose um in fact um 
it's a it's a great application for it because it is waterproof and it gets so loud and the battery lasts forever you know you, you just know that when you set it down wherever you are if you've taken the time to you know hike 10 miles out into the woods and um, carry all your stuff out there you, you know you don't want that speaker to fail you no. want it to work that's the last thing you want to have fail and so we work really hard to make sure that our product doesn't fail on you okay volume control on your on your Deemer box, there isn't a volume button. You control it all through your cell phone of choice, right? Your iPhone. I'd say everybody should have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. We should make money for all the people we tell. I don't think iPhone would sell any iPhones if we weren't telling people to buy an iPhone. They, they couldn't do it on their own. No, own. they definitely not. There's no way. <laughs> There's this, you need a royalty. Our recommendation has made the, the, the iPhone. <laughs> um, What's the best level to listen at? Is there too much volume? Is what is there a maximum you can push your Deemer box? I think there's seven or eight little little tiny lines, like you're talking about. Your yeah. battery indicator is going to have. Is there too much? Is there not enough? What What do you advise people to go at? Well, there can definitely be too much. You know, we we erred on the side of too much volume. So depending on what kind of music you're listening to and what source you're using, whether you're using Pandora or Spotify or iTunes, um, you know, the output levels can be different. And, and, um, so if you have, say you're listening to like, I don't know, like, oh yeah, Guns N' Roses at, you know, at 10 volume on your phone with Spotify premium at the highest bit rate. You might be overdriving the Deemer box a little bit. You might get a little bit distorted. So click it down one click. One click. Yeah, one click. You know, just click it down until it clears up. And, that, and you know, that's probably one click. The reason we did that is because we didn't want a customer who might be listening to, um, you know, um, Celine Dion on their free Pandora and they want to, you know, pump it up for their bridge party. Um, to not have enough volume, you know, and that might be something where it's just a lower output because of the, you know, the nature of the the app that you're using on your phone. So play and with the, it a little bit, see what works for you. But if you're listening to a good rock jam or something, more than likely, if you go all the way to where all of your lines are filled in on your volume on your iPhone, just drop it down one line and you're going to get right to where you need to be. If you want yeah. that maximum volume, because I'm telling you right now, when you're in a, in, in a confined area, like let's say a kitchen or a bathroom and you're listening to a podcast or music while you're getting ready in the morning, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I cook, if I'm cooking a pre-meal or something before somebody gets over here, it, it can be too loud. I mean, it, this thing is plenty enough to where I could put this box in the furthest corner of this house. This house is 3,600 square feet. And you would not need anything else. If you put that one one click below, you could listen to the whole house could be entertained by the music coming out of it. Yeah. No problem. One, one thing you can do with, with any speaker, not just ours, but if you put it you know, up against a wall, you're going to get more decibels out of the speaker. You're going to get more volume. If you put it in a corner, you're going to get even more, especially more bass. If you put it on the floor in a corner, pointed up, like you're going to use the room to amplify the amount of sound you get out of the box. So that's just like, that's just the law of physics and acoustics. Yeah. But that's because you're a sound designer. Well, I think about this stuff and I play with it. You know, one thing to think about, here's something that I think people need to remember. 
Um, there's no replacement for displacement. People will say that for cars. You know, it's like if you have a little four cylinder Honda, it doesn't matter how much you hop up that car. It's never going to be as fast as that, you know, that V8 charger with the Hemi, you know, that just has much, a much, much bigger engine, bigger displacement. So it's the same with speakers. If you've got like, you know, big 12 inch speakers, like a big 12 inch subwoofer in the back of your car, that thing's always going to produce more bass than two, three inch drivers in the Deemer box, but there's a trade off, right? So we wanted to make something that is portable and, you know, has enough bass, but you can still carry it around and still has a long battery life. So, um, we don't pretend to be, you know, a speaker that's big enough for you to have a rave with. Right. But now that they're parable though. Well, now that they're parable, right. You know, you pair up a bunch and, and, and you can certainly, um, handle a lot more people in a crowd. Um, what I always tell people and, and, I think 99% of the people who buy a Deemer box are happy with the amount of volume that it oh, produces. You can't uh, get better. We have a 30 day, um, no questions asked money back guarantee. If you're not happy, just send it back. You to get us. a lot of them coming back. No. How many is, what's your retention rate? Oh, uh, are you under two, 1%? 2%. Two, uh, I mean for, for like, well for returns, Oh, less than 1% for returns. I'm thinking for repairs, it's still a pretty low number Good for you. But we, but you know, when people return, a, when people return a Deemer box to us for repair, it's it's almost always the same. Um, start to the email, they'll say, "I love my Deemer box, but and it's you know it might be their battery life doesn't seem like it once was what it was, or you know they they drove a car over it and it cracked the speaker grill." Or something, you know, it's something, whatever it is. And we just say, I send it back and we'll fix it. And we always do. Um, And it feels great to be able to take something and repair it. And it was born in a freaking Anchorage, Alaska hotel room. Yeah. That's a cool story. Barrow, Alaska, about 800 miles north of Anchorage. I've seen some cool things happen in a hotel room in a a clean way. Don't get me wrong. Like, I was with my buddy Leith Loft and he wrote a song that... That everybody loves hearing him sing. Lee's getting ready to go into Southern Ground next month and at the beginning of April, and he's recording his first album with Zach and Brandon, which Brandon's an incredible producer. We got done at a gig he was playing, and we were wore out. We hunted ducks and geese all morning, and then he had a gig at a local place there in Kansas, and he gets back, and he sets his guitar case down on the ground, and he lays out, and he's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so he's long. He lays down and sprawls out in the bed, and he looks at me and goes, Hoss? We're wearing out the treads on our good years. And I went, what? And he and he wrote a song called Good Years off of, you know, how clever and symbol, you know, like your tires and all this and running wild like the fire. And the, there was, California had a huge fire going on at the time. He's like, we're running wild like the fires out in California. Captain right beside me because he's drinking Captain Morgan that night. So he's thinking about his tumbler cup there with this cold Captain Morgan on it on the back roads of America. And it's about all these long nights whiskeys and cold beers are wearing out the treads on my good years even the best of us have to slow down in time that's a hard pill to swallow for the running kind and he comes up with that in a hotel room in kansas and deemer box was come up in a hotel room in alaska and so you hear this song in the background which is my favorite Zach Brown song of all time, Colder Weather. This song, the lyrics, and <clears throat> this is like my life to a T. This is 
That's four lit up. We're still we're still four below max volume, and it's unreal volume. It's clear. We're still two below max. So that's one below max right there. And listen to that clarity. She says, I want to see you. He said, I want to see you again. But I'm stuck in colder weather. Sounds insane. Tomorrow will be better. Can I call you then? That guy can sing. He can sing. He's the songbird of his generation. I'm talking about the Catalina wine mixer here, Dub. But I, I bring in Zach again, and we've talked about Zach a bunch. Zach is insanely talented, right? Like, you can't argue a guy that's won that many Grammys, that many number one hits, the respect that he has from his peers, how many times he's played Saturday Night Live. He works with Bruce Springsteen. He works with Dave Grohl. He worked with the late, great Chris Cornell from Soundgarden on Heaviest. I mean, he he is a badass musician. His band, the Zach Brown Band, I don't care if it's Coy or Clay Cook or Matt Mangiano or John or the, the percussion section, I don't care who it is. They are as good as it gets in music. I mean, Clay Cook was roommates with John Mayer at Berkeley in Boston, and they write together and play together, and John Mayer is a freaking genius. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, oh, he is. So cool. as far as a live show goes... and look, they, up, look up Danny, the De Los Reyes, oh the my God, percussion dude. player. I mean, he's, he's play, he has played with everybody. everybody. And he's so humble. And all he, and five, I mean, it's crazy. And it's, all he ever wants to talk about is fishing. Yeah. He just wants to talk about fishing. Yeah. You, and that new little short film they made on him, he's a yeah. stud. His, his philan I mean, you know, the way he gives back. And, yeah. Um, I'm turning this up. It's awesome. It sounds so good. But why Zach Brown? Why? How does Zach Brown and James Deemer meet? One person could say, oh, yeah, man. I mean, I worked on tons of Zach Brown shows. I was the audio tech. I was designing all of his stage and his sound and everything. But that's not the case. How, how does it come about that Zach Brown is now your business partner with you? And I'm sorry, I've not Jason. met you. With you and yeah. Jason. I'll get J Jason. I look yeah. forward to meeting you one day. But now your business partners with Zach Brown. Yeah. You move your operation from Maine, from Portland, Maine, in the northeast part of the country down to the southeast part of the country in Georgia, south of Atlanta. And it's actually north of Atlanta, I think. South of Atlanta. It's a little just, south of Atlanta. Just south of Atlanta. Just south. I started playing mind tricks on yeah. my Why Zach Brown? You, you were looking for an investor one day, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to call Zach Brown, and I hope he answers. Or I'm going to go. Yeah. I saw Zach Brown at a, at a restaurant, and I just walked up to him and went, hey, man, I need to borrow some money. How does Zach Brown get yeah. involved in d I know. Balls? It was a crazy story. So um, Jason and I, in 2014, we did a Kickstarter, which is crowd crowdfunding we did a kickstarter campaign and we were successful and that allowed us enough um, resources to open some injection molds and make a product that we felt um, we could sell on amazon so we started selling demon boxes on amazon and um, doing pretty well with that and we get a an email it was in late 2015 maybe i don't know december 29th or something and the Subject line was uh, something like, does anyone actually read these emails? Because it was like info to info at Deemerbox. And the body of the email said, hey, my name's Zach Brown. I'm a singer for the Zach Brown band. I just 
took a, I bought a Deemer box and I took it spearfishing in Belize with my family for nine days. And I, I love this thing. Like, let's talk. So, uh, you know, I'm like, Zach Brown, it sounds familiar. Um, I didn't really like, I know his songs, but, um, I didn't know much about Zach Brown. So I asked my daughter who is a teenager and, and she rolled her eyes and you. she's like, Oh my God, dad, that's amazing. You've got to go down. So Jason and I flew down and we met with Zach and Scott and, you know, all the guys down there and, and, uh, had a great day and, and realized that this was a good fit. And frankly, Jason and I were, we were getting tired. You know, we were getting tired of having regular day jobs and doing this is not a day job. And, um, it was, it was, you know, it was a lot of weight on our shoulders and we had thought about finding some investment. Um, but we just weren't really sure, you know, how to do that. Um, it worked, it just worked out really well. What a great partnership because Zach is a musician. You think so he knows something, a little, a little something about audio? He, he knows a little something about audio. He also knows a little something about, you know, business business. And, and I was going to say taking stuff outside and beating the crap out of it. I mean, here's a guy who's, he's always going on hunting trips or fishing trips or he's always outside, you know, getting on always. it always hard. Yeah. So, um, it's a great fit for us. You know, he's a partner that really, really intimately understands what we're trying to do and embraces it and supports it. And he's been just a tremendous, you know, support both financially and, um, I'd love seeing him how get you know like Zach's a a really passionate person obviously to get where he's gotten in life but I remember I, I know a, a few Deemer I've experienced a few Deemer box stories with him and I told you about one earlier on the fishing but another one was in um, Denver at Coors Field what's this year right now this is two thousand so it would have been summer of seventeen yeah. I went up there and uh, he was playing. He had sold that place out. He's there again this year. It's such a good time in Denver. Um, but he's in the, his dressing room is the Colorado Rockies, you know, clubhouse dressing room. And we're in there and there's all these baseball lockers. And you know, the Rockies left these hats and jerseys with Zach Brown's name. And I remember the band's name on it. And all he talked about was this freaking Deemer box. And, and, and he's, he's sitting there telling me about, it and he's like, put, you know, he's like playing it again. And, and Dirk's sitting there and he's like, Hey Dirk, get with building and make sure that he gets one of these. And I'm like, really? And then he sent me the first one and I'm like, Oh my God, dude, it was unreal. And that's when I fell in love with it, man. When I was able to put it in my environment, with what I do because I'm outside a lot indestructible I mean I don't know how many videos before you met me that I posted of the Deemer box before you knew who I was or even about us or I knew about you I mean I'd have it out in my decoy spread at six in the morning in the dark and I would just those those videos I showed you above working out that was daily for us setting up goose decoys setting up and our Deemer box is in the duck blind or on the shore and we're listening to music while we're setting up I was, and again, I never, ever once in my whole existence of setting up decoys, which has been a lot and listening to music, which has been longer than setting up decoys. I never tied the two together unless it was in the truck and that it was cold out. So you wanted to keep the door shut. I never had audio playing like that during those cold morning setups. And now I got my Deemer box sitting there jamming beats and freaking loving life. And I never had that giddiness or that feeling or that passion to have my Bluetooth hooked up until I had a Deemer box. And I've had, like I told you, over 20 different Bluetooth model, you know, different speakers. And then none of them get used anymore. I'll show them to you after we get up from this podcast. They're here. They just haven't been used in a long time. 
I'm not going to sell them. I don't have time for that. I just, you know, who knows what they'll go to. But that's what, you know, I ask about why Zach Brown and how this story is awesome. It's compelling. It's, it is the American dream because, you know, we're, me and Jason, we're getting tired. We're, we're working nine to five. We're clocking out. Then we're at the, our little makeshift warehouse and we're banging it until three or four in the morning, trying burning the candle at both ends. That's, that's entrepreneur spirit. But look where it got you. So more than likely, you had to give up a little to get a lot, which is the way it goes. You got a great business partner in Zach Brown with huge vision, huge network, uh, quality dude that understands audio. But the best part about that whole affiliation with somebody like Zach Brown, who again is a true rock star. He is a true rock star. Dude, the guy jams with Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl's a freaking badass, dude. You know who Dave Grohl? I mean, he's the drummer for Nirvana and he's the lead singer of the Foo Fighters. I mean, he is a genuine, like a bona fide badass rock god. Zach's a rock star. I mean, he's a stud, right? Totally. The best part about that whole story with, I know people are going to write in, you just kiss Zach Brown's ass. Well, when you're passionate about somebody and respect them on that level, like I do, he's, he's made it. He used to have chicken fried on freaking YouTube, dude. And now he's won freaking, I don't know how many Grammys, at least five. And he's freaking had 15 number one hit. He's a stud. And his band is the best band in music right now. Probably second to Guns N' Roses of all time. Maybe Queen. I don't know about that. Don't argue with me, James. He's good. They're really good. It's fun to, you know, it's fun to learn about Zach's, like the way he got his start, you know, in, in, uh, in our shop and and down in Peachtree City, Georgia, there's his old, his first tour bus, which is like a... Like you like would a, never even consider it's getting like in a, it. like a VW ho- hotel, like shuttle bus, like a short bus thing yeah. that's like converting. You're like, oh my God, this is what they toured in? And that's what they did. Yeah. I mean, they paid their dues. Those they guys did. worked hard. And they deserve yeah. it all of what they get now. And the coolest part about that affiliation, getting back to Box, is he contacted you. So what is that telling you? It's not like you were like, man, I'm going to go get an investor, which you probably crossed your mind to get out of that nine to five, but to get that email. And you know, if you would have, let's say that you were a huge Zach Brown fan at the time, you probably would have been like, yeah, right. This is somebody messing with me. Luckily you weren't like infatuated with Zach Brown to where somebody like me gets an email like that. Hey man, I've been wearing this coat. I'd really like to talk to you about this brand. I'd be like, what the, f-? you're just like, yeah. And showing it to your daughter. And that's when she lost her mind. And then you're like, well, maybe we should fly down to Atlanta and drive over to Peachtree City and visit that campus, which is amazing. Knives, leather, cars being wrapped. Yeah. I mean, his camp. His oh camp, the Southern Ground Incredible. Camp. Incredible. I've toured the whole facility, the treehouse where he does a lot of his thinking and meetings and stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of a lot going on in the Zach Brown family of brands and businesses that if you're, if you're not in, ingrained in it, you don't know about it, you should look into it because that's a guy that's not just getting up there and singing a song on stage. He's, he's legit. So to know that your brand was started out of a seven or five day or seven day class that your wife said, Hey, go take that audio class. See what's up. That turned into documentaries, Boy Columbine, that turned into Donald Trump and the apprentice that turned into the survivor that, that got you, your weight, your, your legs underneath you on being a, an audio genius. And then because you knew you had a need for this audio box and this makeshift job and, or this job in Alaska, you bring a makeshift speaker that you knew you needed for this project. And a guy listening to it in a hotel room says, can you make me one of those? And now you're doing huge numbers and sales going to get bigger 
beat some thresholds. There's going to be other ones that you're going to conquer. What could be better than a 50-year-old man living in America kicking ass like that with the future as bright as it can be with how popular streaming is and people listening to music in different ways now? It's unbelievable. I see so much in it, dude. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So badass, dude. I don't even know like where you could, where, what else to say about it. I think we covered like a lot of the yeah. brand and I mean, is there anything else that I'm missing? I want to talk more about the future and, and where it's going. And there's a lot of things going on right now that I want to let out of the bag, but we can't, but pay attention to Deemerbox. What's the exact website, James? It's uh, www.deemerbox.com and that's D like Delta E M mouse E R B O X Deemer box and be looking for them on all of our social media platforms at the foul life and that banded and at this life ain't for everybody and be looking for them on episodes of the foul life. We had them everywhere on the road with us this year, but check them out, man. There, you heard the story. Um, it's, it's one of those stories that anybody would want to, to live. It's, it, it hasn't been easy and that's what makes it worth it. It's well-rooted and just hearing how it came about and where it's, where it is and where it's going. It's a badass brand owned by Americans that are kicking butt every day. And they're, they're, uh, they're living the dream now. And they're, they're, I'm so thankful that I got to meet James through Zach. And I'm so thankful that I met Zach through Chad and that's all about networking and, and opening up doors. And when they open, kick them down. And that's what, uh, Deemer is doing right now so we're going to be back with more with james and future episodes of this life ain't for everybody and again deemerbox.com check them out listen to your favorite music on them listen to your favorite podcast which hopefully this is one of them rate us give us a rating i don't care if you do or not because we're going to keep doing them no matter what and it is what it is but check out deemerbox.com right now i see orange i see blue i see black i see green they got different colors they got a new model coming out that's one speaker they got a lot of new additions to the double speaker including compatibility and pairing so that in itself right there makes it worth it get a couple of these and have an awesome pool party this summer and and support Deemerbox. They support us here at The Foul Life. I'm excited about the partnership. And also, I started this off with the North American Whitetail Championships. Please go to nawtc.com or bonecollector.com. Get signed up. It's going to be awesome. $300 to enter. That's a no-brainer is what they call that for your chance to win $50,000 cash money. And you do get a prize package right when you enter for $300. That's valued at more than that with a Tacticam, a Gator Tumbler from our boys in Louisiana, the McGehee brothers, a Gator Tumbler, as well as accessories to outfit your bow. And who knows, one day we might see Deemer Box over there as part of that event. Who knows? I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're growing leaps and bounds with it. But NAWTC.com, brought to you by Bone Collector, as well as our friends Clint and Steve at Wicked Outfitters. We're excited to be partnered with them. We're going to be part of it, and uh, it's going to be for many years to come. It's a way to get out there and chase those big old white-tail buck deer munching on clover like randy owens in alabama sang about back in the day so i'm chad belding james deemer do you have anything else to add to this awesome two hour and 21 minute conversation we had good flow going we got good chemistry we should write a song today we should <laughs> give it to zach yeah. yeah thank you chad for having me i really appreciate it and uh look forward to 
to getting to know you better. Heck yeah, yeah. buddy. I can't wait. So tonight we're going to have a cookout here on the Traegers. We're going to roll with Traegers. Tomorrow we're going to be down in downtown Reno with the El Dorado Resorts with our Carano family friends. And um, how's the room down there? Is it nice? Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. A nice little resort. Yeah, got a great hookup at the El Dorado. Yeah, it's, it's really sweet. I've got a, a great view. You know, I haven't been to Reno before and it's... It's just beautiful here with the snow-covered mountains kind of all around yeah. and the beautiful, sunny, um, high desert. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool. I, I definitely look forward to coming back and exploring some more. Yep, can't wait to have you back, guys. Again, today's episode was brought to you by our friends at the North American Whitetail Championships, as well as James and Jason and Zach Brown and all of their family of brands here at Deemer Box. So check them out, DeemerBox.com. I was uh, humbled to hear that story. What a great brand, American Dream. Tom Rashashin, please play. Why don't you go ahead and play it on a Deemer Box today? Tom, hold on. I'm going to see if I can do that right now. I always end these podcasts with the same song, Written by our friends, Leith Lofton and Drake White. And I'm going to play it, James. And so Tom doesn't have to today. This is our this is our song that we always play. What you going to do when the money's all gone? But instead of playing it through the computer, we're going to bring it to you through a Deemer box. Thank you all very much for being here. For James Deemer, I'm Chad Belling. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. And this is what you're going to do when the money's all gone. Coming out of a blue Deemer box with a Jack Link sticker on it. Feed your wild side. How you doing there, Troy Link? Thank you all very much. Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Material things you got to leave behind. Here's a little something in case you didn't know. You can't buy love silver. This is Leith, who's going to be recording at Zach's studio in a couple weeks. Doesn't that sound pretty? A belly full of food and a nice warm bed. All right, y'all, we're out. Sorry for rambling on. I'm just excited about life. Y'all enjoy your your Monday. Thank y'all very much for listening to this. Life ain't for everybody. So what you gonna do?